Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world sports. Joined by my wonderful friend and co-host Enrique Cisneros, I'm Ryan Marinholtz, and let's get into this. Enrique, first of all, how are you doing, my brother, on a wonderful Sunday? And second of all, dude, episode 20, 20 weeks of Mile High Flight Show, Mile High Fight Show. Oh my gosh, how you feeling? Um, well, first of all, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Um, and yeah, dude, 20 weeks of it. I'm, uh, I'm super blessed to be able to do this with you. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. Um, you put in so much hard work on this and, you know, I would literally not be here without you. So thank you again. And, um, yeah, thank you for everybody that listens. Cause I mean, literally, you know, I thought about this, um, working in a box truck one day and, um, it just came from our passion. I mean, if you guys would have heard me and Ryan in that box truck, you would understand why uh, why we had to start a podcast. And um, yeah, we just both we both love doing this, and we really appreciate everybody that listens and everybody that downloads an episode and everybody that checks us out or interacts with us in any sort of way. We just we really appreciate every single one of you guys. And um, yeah, uh, we're we're gonna keep doing this uh, probably until we die, you know, or until the NFL stops. One of the two. Or until, exactly. or until the Jets win a Super Bowl. So we might only be doing this till next year then. If that's the rule, we might only be doing this till next year. Dude, some, that's just how it's got to be, if that's the case. <laughs> we win Zach a Bowl. Wilson, MVP, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. Chucking, chucking bombs, fucking moms. <laughs> oh, God. Beautiful. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Brother, right back at you. I appreciate all your hard work and... It's, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do this with you. So, yeah. And with that, let's uh, get right into it, you guys. So, first of all, our weekly question section. Just one question here this week. Uh, starting off our breakdowns of the NFC North, the question, which NFC North rookie can make the largest impact in year one? Our options, Christian Watson, a wide receiver from the Packers, Kyler Gordon, a wide receiver from the Bears, Aiden Hutchinson, an edge of, from the Lions, and then Andrew Booth, a cornerback from the Vikings. And uh, on social media, you guys actually had Christian Watson, Aiden Hutchinson, and Andrew Booth Jr. all tying, um, which I was pretty surprised about. And nobody even voted for my boy Kyler Gordon over there on the Bears. But uh, <laughs> I got to say, you know, I feel like with the position – for me personally, with the position that he plays and then just the whole storyline with it being the hometown team and everything like that, I think I would choose Aiden Hutchinson here. What do you think, Enrique? Um, I, you know, I love Aiden Hutchinson and I want to say Aiden Hutchinson so much, but um, I got to go, I got to go with Christian Watson personally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's just because of the guy that's throwing in the ball. Um, I think that the Packers have a need for someone to step up in their wide receiver room, even though um, Mr. Rogers himself said that he's going from a Hall of Famer to a Hall of Famer. And, um, yeah, I just think that the the need for someone to step up in that room is great. I think Christian, Watson's, or Christian Watson has, um, has, like, the physical gifts to step up and be that wide receiver for the Packers. And I think that's um, – yeah, I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to put that ball on him. So, and I think with Aiden Hutchinson as well, <clears throat> um, I, I see why it's a tie. You know, he is a dominant player, and you know, 
going from Michigan to Michigan. Um, it just seemed like everything's lined up for him. And I really do think he's going to be a stud in the NFL. So this one was tough. This one was tough. I do feel bad for Kyler Gordon, though, because ain't no one picking that ass. And there was, there was no way. There was no way I could even think about it. And then no offense to Justin Fields. Um, but just Aaron Rodgers or Aiden Hutchinson is, to me, a more uh, for sure thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and speaking of which, with Kyler Gordon, I just realized I put him down as a wide receiver. He is a corner. Um, and we'll get into that later when we cover the Bears, too. But he is a player I am looking forward to. But being a corner uh, may not necessarily have the impact you hope from him long term in his first year. So I think, like you said, Aiden Hutchinson, Christian Watson, uh, probably safer bets. And I'm super excited to see Christian Watson, like you said, uh, just with that need um, and his raw talent. Like, yeah, that's going to be a good one for sure. So with that, we can move right into our new section. Uh, got a ton of great stories for you guys here. We're going to try and blast through them. Another black alternate helmet uh, unveiled here. The Cardinals unveil one. And uh, Enrique brought to my attention, I didn't actually notice it first, that if you look closely on it, they've got kind of like, uh, it's black, but it's got kind of like red, like, I think the word uh, you used, Enrique, was like flakes almost, or kind of like a sparkle, like, I don't even know how to say it, but um, it, it looks pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. And I like that it's not just like straight black. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think if they uh, if they just went with like a black helmet, um, I would be upset. But honestly, dude, uh, although I am low-key on the black helmet trend because of the Jets doing it as well, um, I was kind of disappointed when they came, without, when, when they came out with the red one. But... Um, Oh, with the, with the black one. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, when they came out with the black one. But that little bit of that red flake material inside of it gives it that little bit of, you know, like that sheen. And I love the Cardinals black uniforms. So I think uh, I think they're going to look pretty sweet together. And I also forgot that J.J. Watt plays down there. And I like when J.J. Watt gets a, a cool uniform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime we can get J.J. Uh, JJ Watt with that swag, you know, looking nice on the field. He, he, and he always, like, he's one of the few players, I would say, like, him and Rob Gronkowski most recently that I can think of that make that big-ass, bulky arm brace almost look cool. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so yeah, not I, cool looking, but they make it look cool. Exactly, exactly. And, um, hey, Ryan, you think before, uh, before we get into our next story, you think I can? You think I can hit you with a little bit of breaking news that I just saw? Yes, sir. So this is this is a message from my dad. Um, so shout out to my dad for uh, you know being my insider. You know my little Adam Schefter himself. Um, he just let me know that the 49ers are giving wide receiver Debo Samuel a three-year, seventy-one point fifty-five million dollar extension, including fifty-eight point one million guaranteed how do you feel about that ryan how do you feel about debo signing extension with the 49ers dang that's a big one that's a big one that's a big one that's a big boy but i mean debo you know i think if he's playing his debo role which we've always talked about there over the soft season like 
what exactly that's going to look like going forward because he doesn't want to run as much. Uh, but like he's worth it to an extent, you know what I mean? He's a special player and I'm surprised the 49ers, well, not surprised, but I'm glad for them that they managed to figure out the situation and didn't have to give him up. But yeah, that's a, a price to pay. Yeah, I mean, then also, uh, I think DK just got um, a contract extension as well. Yeah. Um, right around in that same uh, ballpark. And both those guys deserve it for sure. Um, if I'm being honest with you, Steve, though, I am more comfortable paying DK Metcalf than Devo Samuel. And my reason being, and then maybe this is why, this is why Debo was so... Um, was so upset with his use is because DK Metcalf is like a true one wide receiver and only plays wide receiver. Um, and, and I think Debo plays a wide receiver role very well, but I really do think that Debo's at his best when they're using him in that hybrid situation. I don't yeah. think that they're going to lean on that anymore per him. Like he doesn't want that anymore. Right. And so that's what I'm worried about. Possibly like, is that going to bring that production level down if he's not um, if he's not in that split type of role? You know what I mean. So that that's what makes me worried about Debo a little bit. Um, but Debo Samuel is a true difference maker. Like literally watching that uh, LA, LA Rams game um, last year. Uh, like I think it was one of the last few games of the season before the playoffs. Um, the 49ers and the Rams were playing, and Debo Samuel literally put the team on his fucking back. Um, and I, there's very few times where I've seen that in uh, my whole NFL watching career where I can truly say, like, yo, that team needs that guy. Otherwise, I don't necessarily know how many games they're truly in it. Um, and I think the 49ers, even though I wanted Debo Samuel to come to the Jets when he announced that he wanted to trade, um, the 49ers had to do everything they could to keep him, and I'm glad that they did. And John Lynch, Hall of Famer, um, smart man, also, you know, former Denver Bronco and one of the nicest guys I've met. Um, so I'm sure I, I was I had no doubt in my mind that John Lynch was going to get that contract done, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that they did. So that way Debo can uh, stay a 49er. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for a little bit, it looked like maybe that was up in the air, but at the end of the day, they were able to get it done. And thank you to Papa Cisneros for that break in news. And, uh, you know, I while we uh, brought it up here, we can go ahead and talk about the DK Metcalf contract. Uh, $72 million, like three years. I think that's what I love the most about this contract for DK Metcalf is it's a three-year contract. It's not necessarily super long-term. And I think that that's the smart move on his part when you look at that, the trajectory or potential trajectory of the Seahawks organization because post-Russell Wilson, you're kind of asking that question is, okay, where are the Seahawks going from here? You know, can they land another quarterback that's going to, uh, like, take them where they need to go? Or is this going to be a team that's going to be a bottom feeder or, uh, you know, mediocre for the next few years and in which case dk metcalf like a you know athletic specimen in his prime or uh, like starting to reach his prime is probably not going to want to spend his time there you know what i mean if he's serious about winning um so i think that's a really smart move on his part and obviously he's worth the money no question there uh good for the seahawks 
Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Um, I think on both these guys, um, a little bit less on Debo for sure, but we don't necessarily know what we got in Trey Lance as well. Um, but yeah, like when you got a horse cock lock as your fucking quarterback, <laughs> and don't get me That's wrong, right. I, I I was a big believer in Drew Lock. I still think that he has potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, three years, get in there, get your money, you know, and he's, 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 he'll still be very young coming out of that contract. So get some money, go to a winning team. And in three years when he's a New York jet and he's playing along Garrett Wilson and Elijah, it'll be fine. Dude, inject it into my veins though, please. I'm just saying in three years. In three years, with the trajectory that the Jets are going on right now, and we'll need—I'm—I'm I'm just saying—Garrett Wilson will still be under contract for another year. We'll probably able, probably be able to get a good deal in with him. Well, he'll be under contract for another two years because that would be three, and then he'll have his fourth year, and then he'll have his fifth year option. So the Jets can pay DK in that. Oh my goodness. Don't make me start. Don't make me start working numbers because <laughs> if that's if, if that's where we go, I'm gonna need a time machine to pop forward three years and um, see how my boys are doing, so that way we can sign DK Metcalf. So, but anyways, regardless, congratulations to both those guys. They're both young, hungry wide receivers, and uh, it just makes that uh, that NFC that NFC West even even more uh, you know hungry and. Um, close-knit, you know, because it, it's almost cool that both of those guys play in the same division. Both of them are getting a very similar contract, and um, both of them I mean, both of them are holding out, you know what I mean? Or holding, were they holding in? Were they going to camp but not playing? Because I know that's what Derwin James is doing. He's, he's going to training camp, but he's not practicing. Yeah, that seems like a, it's become more common, which I, I kind of think is smarter, and you're like not necessarily making the team as mad, and you can still stay in and kind of be around the team and all that so but yeah i believe um that was the same thing and then i saw that dk metcalf like he bluffed that he was going to do that and after he signed the contract uh in his press conference he even came out and he was like yeah you know i was not i was going to be here but i i bluffed it and it worked so thanks <laughs> for the money <laughs> bitches it was like hell yeah dk <laughs> but yeah good for those guys um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be excited to see the future of them both, um, especially with Trey Lance and uh, the 49ers over there uh, and just seeing what happens with that brand new quarterback over there because that's going to be, uh, like you mentioned, a key factor uh, with Debo as well. So, um, But our next story here, and a big one, part of a story that we covered last week, but it kind of didn't get traction until a couple of days after, Kyler Murray's new contract included an addendum that required a minimum of four hours of independent film study for each game week, implying it's been an issue for Kyler, or at least potentially. And uh, it went viral on the internet. Everybody was talking about it, kind of making fun of him. Um, and after a couple of days, Kyler decided to hold a press conference and give an impassioned speech, listing out all of his accomplish, uh, accomplishments over his career and defending his work, uh, work ethic. And a couple of days later, the Cardinals officially removed the addendum from his contract. Um, and like, okay, my first thought is good for him for standing up for himself. It's kind of a crappy situation. 
it's kind of funny in a way. And uh, I recommend everybody to go look up Tom Grossi on, uh, or I think Tom Grossi on YouTube. He's a Packers fan that does YouTube skits and videos and podcasts and all, all kinds of stuff. I'm sure you've heard of him if you have heard of us, most likely. Um, but he did a fantastic little skit video on this situation, and I was dying laughing at it. But, um, yeah, I mean, good for Kyler for standing up for himself because he was totally getting dragged. But, like, I did feel like it. his kind of speech came off almost as, like, I mean – ironically with with the concern that they've been showing about him like not being super mature and everything it almost came off as like immature and like he felt the need to, to defend himself you know what i mean like i hate to say it but like it yeah i mean in the way he was just like listing off all of his accomplishments one by one i'm like all right bro chill like we got it you you don't have to defend yourself that hard it's you know like at the end of the day, it's media people talking, but I don't know. I, I go back and forth on it because, you know, if I was getting dragged that hard on social media, I'd probably feel like I wanted to say something back too. So. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, this does not help my, like, Kyler Murray cannot do anything to help win his re- reputation back with me. Like, right. He just, like, to me, this is. This is such a bad look. This is just such a bad look. And the only reason I say that is because uh, I feel like I work hard, Ryan. You know, I feel like you're, I feel like you work hard. You know, I feel like um, a lot of people that I keep very close to me work hard. And um, I, I've never had to, I've never had to question that about certain people because hard work speaks for itself. You know, like if, yeah. if you work hard, you don't have to defend yourself. If you work hard, you don't have uh you know, you don't have contract stipulations that require you to, you know, prove that you're working hard. Like if that, yeah. if that was the case, if Kyler Murray was putting in the work that, uh, that he needed to, um, I don't necessarily think that the Cardinals would have added that in the very first place. And if I'm being honest with you, I think this is kind of like, Hey, we don't want our quarterback to get dragged through the mud. We don't want any more Arizona Cardinal memes. So we're going to remove this to and we'll say that it's because we, we have to pay our quarterback and, you know, he's a stand-up individual and we're so proud of him and blah, 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 blah. But that's not how you fell in the very first place. I don't know. Does J.J. Watt have a contract like that when he signed with the Cardinals? I don't think so. Did DeAndre Hopkins have a, um, you know, a stipulation in like in, in in that case when he signed with the Cardinals, I don't think so. I I thought that was a Kyler Murray is a, it is what Kyler Murray has been to them, and it was something that they were worried about. And um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I just I'm not a Kyler guy, and I I, I kind of was when he first got drafted his rookie year. I kind of liked him a lot, but. Ever like literally every time something breaks from him of him, uh, I just get further and further. Like, nah, I don't want anything to do with Kyler Murray. <laughs> like, I just don't. I just really, really don't. Um, I, I'm not saying that I have any ill will towards him. I want him to do the best. I want him to bring success to the Arizona Cardinals. But um, if I was looking for a franchise quarterback, 
it would not be Kyler Murray. So this just adds more proof to the pudding in my eyes. That's, yeah, very well put, my friend. And I, I think you're totally right with the hard work speak for itself. And the fact that it was in there in the first place shows at least to some level that it, it was a, a thing, a thing that had to be thought of. And the fact that it had to be thought of in the first place, you know, brings that into question. Um, and then on top of that, rather than just like his, you know, you don't even have to make it public. Like, I get that it's tempting. And like I said, I would probably be tempted to, to uh, you know, say something back publicly too. But at the end of the day, you know, just put your head down and fix it. Like, admit that there was something or like, take it even if you don't feel like your, uh, you know, work ethic was that bad. Just, you know, take it as a challenge to make it even better. You know, I think that that's kind of, like you said, what you would want from your franchise quarterback. Is that asking a lot of somebody? Yes, but that's what you're asking if you're asking for an elite quarterback and somebody who just got paid like an elite quarterback too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a weird situation and obvious. It's like, like, you know, in the modern age, everything's a little bit different with technology um, and it adds a little, a little extra layer to the situation. But, um, yeah, something we definitely had to bring up and talk about. So our next story here, Jesse Bates holds out a training camp for contract reasons. Uh, a couple of players like this across the league right now. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think Enrique and I have uh, slightly differing op- opinions on this. I feel like Jesse Bates is uh, the type of player on a defense that uh, potentially contextually, especially with their new draft pick, um, when they just drafted another potential franchise safety. Um, but I do view Jesse Bates as a, a safety that you could build a defense around um, and commit to long-term. But the Bengals playing it safe and not necessarily committing too much money to him, at least quite yet. Um, but, you know, it means he's uh, holding out for the moment and not holding in, which is an interesting note. It is interesting because I think – the way the other guys are holding in saves them money, right? Like, I think by, like, physically showing up, you get that, like, you don't lose money, you don't get fined. Um, my thoughts on paying the safety, I will sum up in two words. Are you ready? Yes. Jamal Adams. That's it. Okay, okay. Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, Ryan. Jamal Adams. Did the Jets play Jamal Adams? Fuck no. We traded that ass for two first-round picks, baby. And how's Jamal doing? How's Jamal doing? That was the right move, though. And I will say, I I, I totally understand that perspective, and I agree with that perspective. But I think it's it depends on the type of safety that you're talking about. Also true. Jamal Adams is so also particular. True. You know what also I mean? True. Also, sack but, boy. Sack boy, <laughs> like linebacker boy, blitz boy, I think. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, it's blitz boy. Uh, fucking, yeah, no, but like, I, I definitely agree with that overall point. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, it depends on exactly what you're needing from your defense uh, and like if that's going to be a key piece that you want to build around and if it's consistent, you know what I mean? Like, as you look at uh, a situation I, like that I compare – the Jesse Bates situation closer to, 
which ironically of my own team as well, the Denver Broncos uh, with Justin Simmons. And I think that Justin Simmons is uh, an example of paying a safety going right because he's just that, uh, you know, field safety that you're going to need on almost every single snap, pretty much at, well, just every single snap. Um, and that is a leader in your locker room, um, you know, a guy for uh, other guys to get behind and is a, a brain of the defense. And I do think that that was how I view Jesse Bates. But, you know, I don't want to make too much out of nothing. But as far as him holding out versus holding in, I, you are right about the, the um, money part of it. But also the fact that he's holding out instead of holding in for me, like from a leadership standpoint, like when I compare it to the Justin Simmons situation, and I'm sure maybe I, ha- I just have, you know, favoritism for my own team. But I feel like Justin Simmons would hold in because of the leadership, like wanting to be there with his teammates, even if it meant that like, you know, he's not even necessarily sa- uh, sacrificing anything for his contract situation but and maybe i'm again reading too much into that but i don't know just the fact that he's holding out especially when holding in is like this new kind of um tactic that a lot of uh players are doing now and it's kind of almost the like better tactic and then he's still holding all the way out and just not showing up entirely i'm like "Mm." yeah and the other thing that i'll say um real quick just to add on to it is you know, he's got another guy that's looking for a new contract out in Los Angeles and Derwin James that is going to camp. He's not playing. He's holding in, but he is going to camp, and <clears throat> which, is, which is huge because this is a big season for the Chargers. I think yeah. this is a huge season for the Chargers, and I think that Derwin James is a leader in that locker room. I think he is a guy on that team, and I think that he knows his impact on that team. And he knows that he needs to be there. You know, he knows he needs to be there to get the mental reps in, to show support for his teammates, to show support that, hey, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still with this team. I want to be here with this team, um, but I need to get motherfucking paid first. And, and, and I agree. I agree uh, wholly. Besides the fact that I think that, uh, you know, you can, you can work around a safety um, I do agree. There, there are certain safeties, and they come around every so often. I think Jesse Bates could be a very, very good one. You know, but you get guys like a Derwin James, you get guys like a Justin Simmons, an Ed Reed, uh, you know, Troy Palomalu. Um, you get these once-in-a-generation type safeties that can, you know, really make a difference on the field. And uh, I hope to see Jesse Bates back on the field relatively soon. I just I don't know if it's going to be for the Bengals, dude. I don't know if it's going to be for the Bengals. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, and you know, another great point to bring up is like some of those other guys where it's when Derwin James's contract comes up or when Justin Simmons contract comes up or Ed Reed's or any of those guys, it's a no brainer. You know what I mean? I think for Jesse Bates, I can understand the perspective that like, I really like a lot of the tape he's put on, but you know, nobody can, argue with the fact that last year in the regular season he did not play as well as you would hope from especially from a safety going into a contract year uh you know what i mean and coming off of such a great year you know and especially with the success that the team had as well uh, and so that combined with all the other factors and i i loved that you brought up 
um, before the, the context of the season two, it being such an important season for the Bengals coming off of a Super Bowl appearance and loss, you would hope that in that time where you're wanting your team to uh, not get too down on themselves and continue the momentum that they had prior, you know what I mean? And, and continue that, that uh, spark that they had. That, that's a time for a leader to be there and be present. And exactly what you were talking about with Derwin James, uh, just being there is so important when you are a player like that uh, on a roster. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting situation for sure, but we're just going to have to see what happens there. Um, and another player in a similar situation, uh, but a different at the same time, Roquan Smith of the Bears holding it out of training camp, waiting for an extension offer. Um, a little bit different just because it's not necessarily like, you know, uh, top leader of the defense like that. It's just uh, you're starting inside linebacker, a very good player, I think deserving of money, but obviously as an inside linebacker nowadays, it's kind of hard to, uh, you have to fight for that money because it's just not as um, highly, you know, touted of a position at this point in the modern league. Um, So I think that, you know, he's going to get his money if, uh, whether it's with the Bears or someone else eventually. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see how that situation plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love uh, Rokon Smith. I really hope he does get paid. Um, one of, like, the few bright spots, and, I mean, obviously we'll get into them. Well, you'll get into them later on. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that Rokon Smith is one of the bright spots, especially after Cleo Mack leaving that defense. Yeah. You know, you really – you have, you know – like cornerstones that you could build on. Um, and I think Roquan Smith can be a cornerstone for the Bears um, yeah. if if they treat him that way. And, you know, obviously when you got a guy that's due for a contract and uh, he's played at least, uh, in in my opinion, and sounds like your opinion as well, uh, up and deserving of a new contract, you would just hope he gets one, especially in a in, in a undervalued position. Uh, I was just literally going to say, like, I'd probably pay Roquan before I pay Jesse. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. I don't know. Take with that information as you will. I'd probably pay Roquan before I pay Jesse. I think that's entirely reasonable. I mean, especially when you look at the position and the money that's involved with that, it's not necessarily uh, as much of a commitment. I mean, especially when you're talking about top-end safety money, um, and that market only rising and uh, on the opposite side, inside linebacker money uh, just not popping at the moment like we were talking about. So, no, I think that's totally reasonable. And I do hope that the Bears get uh, something done with them. He is a really, you know, quite special player. And like you said, a bright spot uh, on that Bears defense that, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, lost a lot of uh, recognizable faces um, over this offseason. So, but... Uh, another story for the Bears here. This week, the Bears signed offensive tackle Riley Reef to a one-year contract. Came from the Bears. He's been solid enough, and uh, for sure, an upgrade for a ba- or uh, for a um, Bears offensive line that has just been hurting for any sort of help. Um, and a nice veteran addition there. Yeah, I love Riley Reef. Um, you know, he was on that Detroit offensive line for a real long time. Uh, you know, looking out for uh, Matt Stafford and such. And um, yeah, I just I've always I've always thought he was just a super solid offensive lineman. So um, stays in the stays in the north there, gets to go against his former team twice a year. 
I can fuck with that. I can fuck with that. I, I, I also love like when they just, when they sign with like a division rival and they like pick the same number. So that way, like the Jersey collection is just like nice as fuck. And I'm pretty sure Riley Reef used to wear 69 with the, with the lions or 67, one of the two, either 69 or 67. So I'm just hoping he continues. He gets his number that way he can continue my, random little um division rival fetish with uh nfl players like when brett Favre went from the packers to the vikings and uh he had that number four on in the purple and like it's like Favre and purple like it just looked so crazy it looked so disrespectful not not comparing Riley reef to brett Favre, but um yeah it just it, it's along the same things like i just love that like, you know what? You didn't want to sign me? Fuck you. I'm going over here then. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you twice a year. Bobby Wagner type shit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, no, I, I totally agree with you. It is really nice when the jersey collection lines up with the same number. Um, but yeah, a I, I, really great uh, veteran addition for that Bears team. And uh, yeah, we'll be excited to see what he can do with the Bears there. And uh, the next story here, the Buccaneers signing julio jones to a one-year deal worth six million dollars the rich get richer um that bucks wide receiver core is ridiculous mike evans chris godwin they added russell gage from the falcons who sounds like he's been impressing in camp and then julio jones just to top it off as long as he can stay healthy i mean who's defending that and you talked about the other threats uh what did they add kyle rudolph at tight end there um, you know, they have some nice running backs as well. Like, and then Tom Brady, like, what are we even doing here? I mean, I, 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 this is, this is everyone else's fault. Everyone knew Julio Jones was not signed. And I understand, you know, this isn't the same Julio that he was in like prime Falcon days, but this is Julio Jones. Like yeah. this is Julio Jones. And if he if he can stay healthy, like he can put up a thousand yards, and even more so, he this is a perfect situation for him to go into because he's not going to be asked to be the number one guy. Yeah. Kind of in, in Tennessee, he was asked to be the number two guy after AJ Brown, and even at, I, I think even at this point in his career, that's asking too much of Julio Jones. But a number three option, as a solid number three, like give me Julio Jones every single day of the week. And twice on Sundays. And I think that um, it's going to be very similar to when Gronk got his first year in Tampa Bay, where, you know, the beginning of the season maybe starts off a little slow, you know, <clears throat> as he learns the chemistry with Tom, kind of gets into the playbook a little bit. Obviously, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are going to do their thing. They're going to take the primary of the targets. But then that middle to the end of the season, you know, if Julio's still healthy, I think that's when he's going to come on. And, um, yeah, I just think that Julio Jones ultimately is um, – I think he still has a lot to contribute to the NFL. I'm glad he's I'm glad he's finally on the team. And even if he takes the fucking LaShawn McCoy route of getting a ring, I'm cool with it, dog. Julio Jones needs a ring. Julio Jones deserves a ring. And if there's anybody that can get him a ring, I'm going to say Tom Brady knows a thing or two about winning a Super Bowl. This is this is very true. And speaking of which, how awful would it be for the Falcons fans if Julio Jones gets his ring, but he gets it with the quarterback that, that uh, committed the sin of twenty-eight to three? 
upon the Falcons and Julio Jones himself. Do you think Julio would talk shit about it? I think he's just a stand-up individual would never say I'm I'm positive they've already talked shit about it. Like probably the first day Julio got there, he was like mean mugging Tom and he was like, bro, twenty-eight to three. Right. Motherfucker. You took my fucking ring right off my fucking fucking ring. You owe me. Also, right, yeah, that's that's what that's what it was. He was just like, "Hey, dude, I came down here because you owe me a ring. You owe me a fucking ring. Like, you owe me one at this point. So, let's go get it. Let's go get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, looking kind of likely with the Buccaneers there. They're obviously, you know, returning a strong team with Todd Bowles uh, now the head coach. And yeah, I mean, ton of contenders, but obviously the Buccaneers are going to be in the thick of it, especially with Tom." on a war path coming back for uh, his final ring, potentially. So revenge season, revenge season, revenge season. Exactly. Uh, But our next story here, Derek Wolf signs a one day contract to retire as a Bronco after a 10 year career. Uh, I love this for my dude went over to the Ravens uh, for a few years there after the Broncos uh, cut him and, you know, was solid with the Ravens, but um, you know, with the Broncos, he spent his best years and won the Super Bowl with us. And, uh, yeah, just a really special player. Uh, Vaughn's kind of right-hand man on that defensive line. And, um, yeah, it was super fun to watch his career. I'm glad for him. His be- uh, body's beat up, so I'm glad for him to uh, be able to get healthy and enjoy his retirement. And uh, congrats to him. Yeah, congrats to Derek Wolf. Um, you know, definitely one of those guys, even though I'm not a Bronco fan, definitely one of those guys you like to root for. Um, you know, he just, he, when I talk about, like, this is what I mean about when you know guys work hard, you never have to say anything about it. Derek Wolf works hard. Derek Wolf works hard. Like, um, I remember when the Broncos drafted Derek Wolf, and I was like, mm, maybe we didn't need that. Like, maybe we did not need that. Uh, but he, he had a hell of a career here in Denver, won a ring, went out to Baltimore. And I mean, for you, like, I know you love him, but to go from the Broncos to the Ravens and, you know, him being one of your favorite players, I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was magical for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty fun. Like I was pretty upset about the Broncos letting him go. Cause I felt like he was still playing good football and I get that he was an aging veteran and you had to pay him the money and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if he was going to go to any team, it was a kind of a cherry on top that it was at least the Ravens and uh, they treated him well. So, yeah, I mean, congrats to him for sure. Um, and like you said, you know, just such a hardworking player and uh, he never uh, left an inch of doubt. So, but uh, another player, uh, similarly, a two-time Super Bowl champion, Danny Amendola. Uh, of the Patriots and the Dolphins uh, might have snuck another team in there at some point, but Rams was he on? Oh, he was on the Rams. You're right. Yeah, was he on the Rams before the Patriots? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was with the St. Louis Rams. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. you just unlocked a memory. I like completely mm-hmm. forgot about that. You said it. It was like, oh, but yeah, no. I mean, long career. Um, and was great everywhere he went. A hardworking guy found his way on the field and uh, found his his way to some targets and uh, was always, you know, involved. So um, good for him and uh, congrats. Yeah, I mean, I won't say too much about Danny Amendola because he was, in fact, on that team. 
he was a patriot, dude. He was a patriot, and yeah, he's just I I can't do it. It just it's not inside of me. So congratulations, to Danny Amendola. Um, wish you the best in retirement. You know, and yeah, he's like literally the wish version of Wes Walker. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so accurate, mm-hmm. though. Well, wish yeah, he's like, he's like the wish version of Wes or the wish version of Julian Edelman. Exactly. Oh, he's like, God. he's like one of those like short white dudes that plays slot receiver. And yeah, like he just is that guy. It just cracks me up. Just every time, well, I mean, I did it myself. Just every time anybody in the media talks about him, they're like, he's just a hardworking, toolsy guy. That's what they say about Wes Welker and fucking Julian Edelman. That's what they say about those like yeah. short wide wide receivers. Yeah. Just a hardworker. He just goes out there every day. That's what they said about Yeah, brings his lunch pail. He's got a hard hat on, you know. <laughs> That's what they're going to say about Braxton Berrios. With the Jets. Exactly. What are they going to say about Rex and Barrios? So it's fine. It's fine. Everybody gets it. <laughs> oh, man. But, God damn. So good. Uh, but nonetheless, congratulations. Yes, exactly. Nonetheless, congratulations to Danny Amendola. Uh, another retirement here. Ryan Kerrigan retires after 11 years, formerly of the uh, Washington Commanders slash football team slash redacted. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, a great player for a long time, defensive end, uh, forced to be reckoned with every time he stepped on the field. And congrats to him. Yeah, I fuck with Ryan Kerrigan. I fuck with Ryan Kerrigan hard. Yeah. Um, like, not to, not to get back to our last conversation, but fucking lunch pail type of dude right here. Like, for real. Like, right. Ryan Kerrigan is that guy. And I fuck with Ryan Kerrigan for a long time. Um, he was like literally the only reason to watch when they were the Redskins, um, to watch the Redskins, and when they were the football team, the same thing. And I think he went to the Eagles, and then you know uh, he like fucked off on some other teams possibly. Um, but yeah, I fuck with Ryan Kerrigan, dude. He was like he was really good. He was like top top five at his position for a little bit for a few years, and um, in the era of pass rush, like. 11-year vet, right? So you think of when Ryan Karen got drafted, uh, and you look at who else has been around for around that same time. You got Vaughn Miller. You got Aaron Donalds. You got, you know, um, I mean, he's not necessarily in the league being a superstar right now, but, like, Alden Smith was, like, a very good pass rusher at the time as well. Um, And so you just had a lot of pass rushers in that draft and uh in the league for the last 11 years and he was a very serviceable like very serviceable defensive end for a long time and uh yeah like i said he was top five for a few years so yeah shout out to ryan kerrigan uh congratulations on an amazing career and um see like when it's a non-patriot player i can like really give him a send-off you know but the minute the minute they play for the patriots i'm like ah good luck (laughs) right no, I, I'm the same way with the Raiders and the, the Chiefs. I just can't. I'm just like, yeah, like, you were cool, but also you were a Chief, so, like, goodbye. Like, goodbye. To me again. Good riddance, good riddance. Good riddance. <laughs> but, yeah, congrats to Ryan Carey in there. And uh, our next story, another retirement, but unfortunate or a more unfortunate note, uh, Chris Carson retires after five years due to a neck uh, injuries he sustained last year. Um, just really unfortunate. I mean, 
running back, obviously, you know, one of the harder and more physical positions in football, uh, you get hit a lot. You have to, you know, hit yourself. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's Chris Carson in particular, a tough runner, uh, you know, fearless, like, and it, part of why that I enjoyed uh, watching his game is, you know, he really was a fearless runner and uh, put his body on the line for the game. And um, unfortunately, sometimes it uh, results in situations like this, but, you know, uh, glad to have seen uh, what he was able to do in the five years uh, that he uh, played in the NFL. And uh, hopefully, you know, he at least was able to uh, make enough that he can support himself and his family for uh, a long time going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And these, these are the types of retirements that you don't even when you see guys like Ryan Kerrigan and Danny Amadola and all the other different guys that have retired in this offseason. You, and then you hear a story about a guy like Chris Carson, who had many years to play in front of him, uh, have to have his career get cut short. Um, it's, it's really sad. It, it really does bum me out. Uh, I'm glad that he was able to recognize that, you know, his body, his health, and him as a person are more important than him as an NFL running back and that he yeah. decided to retire. I am very appreciative of that because a neck injury, I hurt my back um, – you know, I was I was literally not able to walk. Uh, I was not able to walk. I had to crawl around. And, uh, you know, in the NFL and life in general is just too short. But when you're playing a sport that involves crashing your body into another human's body, um, there's a good chance that your neck's going to get fucked up, dude. And if your neck's already on the low, like your, your neck's already hurting, um, why, why, why risk anything? Why risk being permanently paralyzed? Why risk being not being able to use your extremities? You know, you see a situation like Ryan Shazier, um, and God bless that man. I hope he's doing um, all right. He he had to go through so much, and he ended up uh, you know losing his whole NFL career due, due to a, a spinal slash neck injury. So um, you really, really. It does suck, and it is really unfortunate that his career is cut short. But um, ultimately, best best of wishes to that dude. Best of wishes to him and his family going forward. And um, yeah, I, I, exactly what you said. I hope that he's made enough money to sustain him and his family for a real long time. I hope he's able to get into coaching or whatever he else, whatever whatever he wants to do. Um, I'm sure if you can make it from where he made it from to being an NFL running back. Um, you can do anything, you know, so best of luck to him. And uh, I, I wish him nothing but the best going forward. Um, but yeah, congratulations on a career uh, to Chris Carson for sure. Absolutely. Very well said, Enrique. And so some happier notes, uh, Packers extend Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, the head coach in the GM, you know, obviously uh, kept them in, or brought them into and kept them in contention over the last few years alongside uh, Aaron Rodgers, kind of a revitalization of Aaron Rodgers' career um, with Matt LaFleur coming in um, after Matt McCarthy left, uh, or Mike McCarthy, rather. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty well-deserved uh, for both of these guys. I feel like they've proven themselves as, um, you know, quality drafters, quality, uh, you know, in um, getting good players on the field and uh Clearly, Matt LaFleur, one of the brighter minds in the NFL as a head coach um, and clearly able to uh, find a great staff as well with, uh, you know, Nathaniel Hackett coming over, just like the best coach ever. Just like had to yoink him for Matt LaFleur's staff. Easy, but, easy, 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 easy. 
the, we, we, we know who the best head coach is, Ryan. And Okay, second best head coach after Robert Solon. That's I was just going to say, come on. That's like, like you don't even know you don't even know hockey yet. We know Robert Sala. Come on, we know him. He's, he's our best bud. Like Robert Sala is the best dude ever. Um, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, but uh, I I agree. I have actually one thing to say about Lafleur that I commend him on is I feel like since Lafleur stepped into the building for Mike McCarthy, I feel like literally people have been ripping his ass. Like since he stepped into the building, is he going to get along with Aaron Rodgers? Is Aaron Rodgers going to allow him to do this? Like they thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to pull a good old, you know, lead GM, like, you know, how LeBron does on everybody. And, um, dude, Matt LaFleur fucking, uh, handled that shit. He fucking, you know, stayed calm under pressure. He did his thing. He's led the Packers to winning seasons. He's led the Packers to, you know, the playoffs. Obviously they get that ass beat here and there, but he has led the Packers and he's done it while literally getting, um, getting bitched at the whole time, you know, like literally while getting bitched at the whole time. So, um, yeah, I mean, Matt LaFleur has my respects and, um, Goonta Goonta has a funny, funny last name. So I, uh, I fuck with that too. I fuck with his funny ass last name. Um, I don't necessarily know that I believe Goonta Koontz is the best at drafting guys, but, um, I guess we'll have to see how this draft works out because, didn't didn't both those guys draft Jordan Love? Yeah, and as you were talking, I totally thought about that in my head, and I was going to bring it up. Was I think that's the biggest blemish that uh, I can think of, and I didn't mention on their both of their resumes is the drafting of Jordan Love, and dra- not only drafting Jordan Love, but moving up in the first round to draft Jordan Love, and obviously now that you are hindsight 2020 right jordan loves got a couple years under his belt he's clearly not uh what you were hoping he was gonna gonna be he's not ready um but the whole situation and the whole because that was like a whole saga for a while um was what's gonna happen with aaron Rodgers, um and now conveniently i forget about it now that i'm like perfectly happy as a broncos fan with russell wilson um, but that was very much a potential option for us at quarterback, um, at least was rumored to be uh, before the Packers shorted up with them. And um, so now looking in hindsight, it, you know, now that they've kind of almost resolved that situation and Aaron Rodgers has his extension you know, on paper, he's staying uh, for the rest of his career and retiring at Packer. Now you can say, okay, it's not that bad, but like the fact that they had to go through all that uh, because of that mis- drafting mistake, frankly. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest uh, blemish and a very valid blemish on their careers there. Yeah, I mean, if if I was a Broncos fan, I, I'd want Aaron Rodgers over Russell Wilson, but that's just because – I love a villain, dude. Like I just, I just, I just love a villain, and I feel like Aaron Rodgers is like a villain sometimes. Like the way he showed up to fucking training camp day one, dressed like my boy from Con Air, fucking Nicholas. Come on, dog. He's a villain. This is, this is Aaron Rodgers' revenge season. Like he's, he's hungry. I'm not saying he's gonna get past the NFC Championship game like he always does, but man, 
Like, I feel like Russell Wilson is like the, um, like, like the nice corny, like superhero in this whole thing. And you have Aaron Rodgers, who's like this cigarette smoking Western cowboy dressed in all black, just walks into the saloon, spits everywhere. Like, I don't know, dude. I just, something about Aaron Rodgers in that blue and, in that blue and orange just would have tickled me. Like, I probably won't buy a Russell Wilson jersey. I'll probably buy a Seattle one before I buy a Broncos one, like for myself personally. Um, but if Aaron Rodgers would have came, best believe, best fucking believe, I would have been the first one in line. One, to buy one for you, but then to buy one for me. So, Sir, Sir please. <laughs> please. You're making me cry. You're making me cry. Mercy. 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 No, but, uh, I mean, obviously, given what situation, uh, our quarterback situation we've been dealing with, at the end of the day, I probably would have been happy to have either Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely uh, more happy that I got Russell Wilson. And, uh, like you. I said, I almost, like, erased the Jordan Love situation, the whole uh, Aaron Rodgers situation from my brain now that we're situated because I was like, cool, I don't care anymore. Like the only right. reason I cared about the Packers situation is because I like involved the Broncos. So like, don't care anymore. But um, so, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, now in hindsight, they're like, fine, whatever. We dealt with it. Aaron Rodgers is still here. We did not screw it up and lose him. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest blemish you can say on their resumes. And, but overall, I mean, other than that, I think that they've been able to sustain at least that level of success. And uh, I feel like that they've done, although slowly, they've done a good job of addressing needs as far as, uh, you know, building and replenishing the defense as they've been losing players. Um, And obviously they haven't done as well with surrounding Aaron Rodgers with some of the help he needs uh, wide receiver wise which has been a whole thing as well. But, um, you know, overall, better than some teams can say when it comes to uh, head coach and uh, GM, for sure. Very true. Very true. And our last story for the day, Buccaneers center Ryan Jensen suffers a knee injury in training camp. Uh, A really unfortunate one here. Uh, One of my uh, more favorite players, Ryan Jensen, uh, a native of Colorado and um, yeah, just really unfortunate to see anyone get injured, obviously, in training camp or at all. Um, but, yeah, especially, uh, you know, so early, like uh, just a few days into camp. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree to the fullest. Um, Ryan Jensen's from Pueblo, is he not? Yeah, I think I, I didn't want to say it in case I was wrong, but I believe he went to CSU Pueblo. Fucking shout out Pueblo, shout out the Dirty P, um, fucking shout out Ryan Jensen for fucking living in Pueblo, <laughs> um, shout out Pueblo. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely one of the better centers in the league. Obviously, he's in charge of keeping the seven-time Super Bowl winner uh, upright. And if Tom Brady trusts you, then you, you're good enough for me, bud. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I just did they say how uh, how bad the knee uh, injury was? Uh, they may have at this point, but I, I didn't uh, have any notes on it. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, you know, some knee injuries are worse than others, obviously. But 
But uh, yeah, hopefully it's nothing serious. Ryan Jensen can uh, get back out there, get back to hopefully winning another Super Bowl with Tom Brady. So we'll just, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to check it out once we are all done with the pod to see how bad that knee injury is. But hopefully it's nothing, nothing too significant. Absolutely. And yeah, right now I'm not seeing anything specific as far as like the particular injury, but I am seeing that estimations could be he's missing months. Uh, so yeah, so we'll, we'll have to see. Fingers crossed. Uh, you know, seems like everything's still a little preliminary right now, but as we get more detail, hopefully it's not as bad as we're thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, We'll just have to see what the Buccaneers can do at center there. I, I, they do have a uh, wealth at uh, offensive line a little bit. So, All right, yeah, so, so with that, uh, I think that that's going to do it for our new section today. And uh, we can head right into our NFC North breakdowns. Our very first teams are going to be the Vikings and the Bears. And Enrique, I'll hand it right off to you for the Vikings. Awesome. So <clears throat> part of the reason why I'm breaking down the Vikings is because I made Ryan take the Packers, uh, which and we're doing the Packers and the Lions next. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting right into the uh, the Vikings here, their GM is going to be Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, um, and their head coach is going to be brand new head coach Kevin O'Connell. Um, so both of these guys kind of you know have some uh, some work to do to. Uh, obviously established themselves in the league and um, they have a, they have a good team right now and uh, they had a good team that they inherited from Mike Zimmer um, you know but unfortunately Mike Zimmer was just in one of those situations where he you know eight and eight nine nine and nine you know you know ten wins but no playoffs or get to the playoffs and gets out in the first round right away and so uh, they had to go a different way which is unfortunate. But um, the first draft class under these guys, let's get right into it. Um, so in the first round, pick 32, they drafted Lewis Seen out of Georgia, uh, safety, who I was huge on. Um, love to see it. Uh, round two, they took Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. Um, <clears throat> uh, their second pick in round two, uh, 59, they took guard Ed Ingram out of LSU. Shout out LSU. I mean, Ryan, we're talking about this guy. I mean, Ryan was talking about this guy. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know Ryan was talking about this guy forever. Uh, in the third round, the Vikings took linebacker Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma, uh, pick 66. Um, in round four, they took cornerback uh, Caleb Evans out of Missouri. In round five, they took defensive lineman S.Z. Otomoro? Otto. That's a hard one. It's tough, dude. Um, I'm just a disclaimer for everyone that's listening. This Minnesota Viking team has tons of tough names. So just be prepared. Just be prepared for me to fuck it up. Um, but he was their fifth round pick, uh, pick 165. Uh, in round six tackle for Verdidian Lowe, a senior out of Illinois, uh, pick 184 in the 6th round. And the last pick of the draft this year was a tight end, Nick Muse, 
out of South Carolina, round seven, pick 227. Um, so I, I really, really like this draft class, especially the first four picks to me are huge, huge, huge. Um, you're getting a starting safety in Lewisine. You're getting a starting corner in Andrew Booth Jr., who is one of the more polished corners in the in the draft this year that slipped into the second round. A lot, a lot of good corner depth this year. This draft was, and me and Ryan talked about it in all of our draft breakdowns and everything leading up to the draft. Um, you know, very, 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 very good draft to get guys uh, depth-wise and to get potential starters and just to get guys, you know, to fill out your roster. Um, and Andrew Booth Jr. is going to be a starter on this team for a long time. Same thing with Lewisine. Um, and then to get a starting to get a guard coming out of LSU, um, I think LSU has proven to be one of those schools that consistently puts out NFL products and consistently puts out NFL um, prospects. And so, you know, getting a guard out of LSU to me is, you know, uh, is a for sure hit. Um, and then, you know, you can ask Ryan about Brian Osamoa um, and how, how, how tantalizing he is as a linebacking prospect for this defense. And you pair all that with all the guys that Minnesota already has. And it's, it's a nice draft class to be able to come in and, you know, learn under some of these guys, you know, Lewisine is going to be able to learn, uh, learn from Harrison Smith. Andrew Booth's going to learn from Patrick Peterson, you know, Brian Osmo is going to be able to learn from, you know, um, what's his name? Anthony Barr and, um, Kendricks and all those guys, you know, so it just it is a good draft class for these guys to come in and learn um, Now some of the some of the losses that this team has taken as far as guys leaving the Minnesota Vikings Obviously they lost tight end Tyler Conklin to the New York Jets Shout out to Minnesota for not fucking resigning Tyler Conklin um, They lost Mason Cole their center to Pittsburgh and they lost Xavier Woods their safety to Carolina and just like we just talked about, all those draft picks literally replace those guys. So you're able to let some of those guys go, some of those pricier uh, veterans that are looking for a big free agency deal. Those guys are gone, and in comes the new guys. So um, I think that the Vikings will be able to relatively easily. Um, obviously, they're going to have to put in some work, and you know everything's potential until it starts working out. So... We'll see what these guys look like. Um, but speaking of which, getting into the roster. Um, so starting out with their uh, starting quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Um, I got them keeping Kirk Cousins and Callum Mond. Um, so between the two backups on the Vikings team right now, um, Callum Mond and Sean Mannion. Um, Sean Mannion has been described by Vikings insiders as a quarterback that is good on the whiteboard. And that's great if you have a Zach Wilson or a you know young developing quarterback, but when you have Kirk Cousins as your starter, you don't need your backup to be good on the whiteboard. You need your backup to be able to win you games. And the Vikings aren't necessarily sure that Sean Mannion is the guy that can win them games if something happened to Kirk Cousins. Uh, so. Uh, on my 53-man roster for the Vikings, I have them cutting Sean Mannion um, to go with Callan Mond as the backup behind uh, Captain Kirk. And then getting into the running back, 
Um, you know, obviously the starter is going to be Dalvin Cook, who just changed his number, um, which is cool. Um, and backing him up is going to be Alexander Madison, Kenne in Gogwu, Tyler Chandler, CJ Ham, and then I have them letting go Brian Kobach and Jake Vargas. Um, obviously, Dalvin Cook is going to be the starter. He's a workhorse running back. Um, you know, as long as he comes back healthy, then he's not going to have any problems. But dude is a stud for sure. Um, then getting into the wide receivers, obviously you got the legendary Justin Jefferson, are already just one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. I think this is his third year in the league. Um, so, and he's he's going to be looking to get paid here pretty soon. So, be on the aware of that. But the number two wide receiver, who was the number one wide receiver until Justin Jefferson came, Adam Thielen is backing him up. Then you got KJ Osborne. You got Amir Smith Marset. You got Albert Wilson, who came over from the Dolphins. And then you got Jalen Naylor. Um, and I have them letting go uh, Alobisi Johnson, Dan Chisna. Blake Prohio, Thomas Hennigan, Tristan Jackson, and Myron Mitchell. Uh, granted, some of those guys could hang on to, uh, in special teams, um, but you, when you have um, Albert Wilson, who is a, a bit of a faster guy anyways, he's more than likely going to hang on um, over some of these other guys. Um, now, in that tight end room, you got Irv Smith Jr., Johnny Munt, and uh, Ben Elfson, L. Alephison, Alephison, um, and I have them letting go. Zach Davison. Um, unfortunately, I don't have them keeping the rookie Nick Muse, but sometimes that happens uh, when you're a seventh round pick. Um, but hopefully, he can, um, you know, get the training camp, show out, and stick on the roster. Uh, and then they have Sean Dyer, who I have them letting go as well. Getting into that offensive line, I have them hanging on to Christian Darosaw, Brian O'Neill. Urza Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Chris Reed, Jesse Davis, Ed Ingram, Ver, Ver, Verdirian, Verdirian Lowe, and Ali Uda. Um, and then I have them letting go on the offensive line. Blake Brandle, Wyatt Davis, Austin Schultman, Kyle Hinton, Timon Paris, and Josh Sokol. Um, obviously, I think this is probably the weakest group um, on the whole Vikings team, if I'm being honest with you. I think when you start looking into the Vikings a little bit, you can kind of see the position groups that uh, have strengths and weaknesses, just like you can with any other team. But I think the offensive line, particularly um, for Minnesota, is uh, the weaker position group. But they have been good enough to keep Kirk, Kirk Cousins upright. And I don't necessarily know. Um, I mean, you got Aiden Hutchinson now that's in that division, but some of the other ones aren't nearly as bad as far as um, defensive linemen that are coming after him. So getting to the defensive side of things, on the defensive line, I got them hanging on to Dalvin Thomason, Harrison Phillips, Armand Watts, James Lynch, Jonathan Boyd, and Jalen Twyman. And then I have them letting go uh, Ezzy Odomulio, uh, the rookie, uh, TJ Smith, T.Y. McGill, Julian Taylor, and Tyrese Stevenson. Um, 
Now, this is where I think the Vikings have a distinct advantage in the NFC North is their edge guys. And I have them hanging on to Daniel Hunter, Zedaria Smith, who I actually forgot even signed with the Vikings, uh, DJ Wongman, Patrick Jones, and Janaris Robinson. Um, and I have them letting go Luju Villain, Zach McLeod, and Andre Mintz. Um, Zedaria Smith and Daniel Hunter are going to make a dynamic duo um, on the edge for the Packers for sure, or for the Packers, for the Vikings for sure. So it's going to be very interesting to see both those guys on the field together. Uh, Zedaria Smith coming from the Packers um, was a monster out there in Green Bay, and I think him having an, another guy on the opposite side of him is going to make a world difference. So as far as the linebackers go, um, they got Eric Hendricks, obviously, who's been a baller. Uh, I love seeing Eric Hendricks play. He's all over the field, hitting, uh, hitting, intercepting, run defense, pass defense, everything. Eric Hendricks is a full three-down linebacker. Um, then I got them hanging on to Jordan Hicks, obviously Mr. Uh, Brian's favorite guy ever, Brian Osamoa and uh, Blake Lynch. So that's going to round out their linebacker room. Um, corner, I think they're super solid when it comes to their... Uh, I would almost say that the Vikings have potential to have one of the better secondaries in all of the NFL because, I mean, just their cornerback room speaks for itself. They got Patrick Peterson, Cameron Dantzler, Andrew Booth Jr., who's a rookie, uh, uh, Caleb Evans, uh, Shadon Sullivan, and Nate Harrison. Um, and then getting into their safeties, they got Harrison Smith, Lewis Sign, Cam, uh, Cameron By Bynum, and Josh Mentalis. So just when you're looking at that secondary, just right there, you got Patrick Peterson, who is obviously one of one. I think Patrick Peterson will probably. Um, make it to, like, possible Hall of Fame potential. Um, just depends on really how you saw him. But, I mean, his days in Arizona, he was a legend. So he's going to be able to help Andrew Booth Jr., you know, live up to his full potential, help some of these younger guys. And, um, obviously, you got Harrison Smith to teach Lewis Sign. Um, and even more so, you know, a lot of these guys are um, really, really looking forward, especially in the secondary Really, really looking forward. That was one thing that um, when I was doing research on the Minnesota Vikings, that I was very, like, I was, it was really cool for me to see because um, obviously the Minnesota Vikings had lost, um, had lost one of their teammates, you know, um, who tragically had passed away uh, earlier this year. And um, most, most of the guys in the secondary are dedicating this season to him. Um, and dedicating just all of their work and preparation. And I feel like sometimes when a group of men is playing outside of themselves and playing for something uh, of a higher calling, um, I, I feel like that's a special group. And I, it's like a bonding sort of experience. And so I think that this, um, this Minnesota Vikings secondary could be, be very dangerous, uh, especially as they develop and play close together. Um, and then just to round out their roster on the special teams, you got Greg Joseph, Jordan Berry, and uh, Andre DiPaola. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just going through that, going through that uh, whole roster right there. You know, they're very, very deep when it comes to their 
offensive side of things. I think the offensive side of the ball for Minnesota is probably their, um, you know, their bread and butter. That's going to be the thing that really helps them win games, especially depending on how Kirk Cousins plays. Kirk Cousins has the potential to, you know, be top 10 quarterback in the league sometimes. And other times he's just literally like a guy. So, um, but when you're throwing the ball to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, you know, that's going to help a bit. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the, the defensive side of things can um, match with the pass rushers, uh, you know, the secondary, Patrick Peterson, Andrew Booth Jr., and just tons of riches on that defensive side of the ball. So I'm really excited, especially after doing so much research on this Minnesota Viking team. Really excited to see uh, the sort of potential that they have. And, you know, some of the storylines that I was really following with this Vikings team was, you know, that they do have a deeper roster. They do have a deeper roster with some potential. Um, I think that sometimes being up in Minnesota, people forget about them and forget that they do have some ballers. Daniel Hunter is a baller. Harrison Smith is a baller. Eric Hendricks is a baller. These are guys that, you know, are no joke. And then obviously, Justin Jefferson puts the league on notice every single time he catches the ball. If you're if you don't if you're not paying attention to the Minnesota Vikings, Justin Jefferson will make you pay attention to the Minnesota Vikings. I promise you, every single week, Justin Jefferson has a highlight that's coming on NFL Network or on ESPN because he is just a dynamic wide receiver. And Adam Thielen is no joke either. Um, I follow both of those guys on Instagram and. Both those guys are constantly putting in the work, um, just trying to improve day in and day out. And then, you know, Kirk Cousins is good enough. So I'm hoping that this could be the year that the Minnesota Vikings could potentially be more than just like a, you know, a, an afterthought because uh, they really do got some guys that I'm rooting for, for sure. Um, I think adding Zadarius Smith was huge for them. I think Zadarius Smith was a game wrecker out in Green Bay. Um, I think he's going to bring that same uh, game-wrecking uh, ability to the Minnesota Vikings, especially having Daniel Hunter on the other side of him. I think Daniel Hunter is sometimes underrated as a pass rusher. Um, and so I'm really excited to see how this whole how this whole defense works. You still got Anthony Barr, um, you know, and so it, it's just one of those things that I really do think that these, this defense really has some potential to uh, – you know, be something special, especially with Zadarius Smith on the other side. Um, you know, he was Zadarius Smith, in my opinion, was one of the big reasons why the Packers got as far as they did uh, last year. That that consistent pass rush, obviously, when you have the back-to-back NFL MVP as your quarterback, that helps as well. But um, you know, Aaron Rodgers typically doesn't do as good without a without a decent defense. I don't ever think the Packers have had, like, a lights-out defense um, besides the year that they won the Super Bowl with Charles Woodson. But um, they've always had a, a pretty de- a decent defense, and Zadarius Smith was a very, very big bright spot on that defense last year. So taking that to uh, Minnesota is huge. I also think they killed the draft this year. They killed, killed, killed the draft this year. Um, I don't and I'm a little biased when I say this, I don't think they had a draft as good as the Jets, but I think they had uh, like a top five draft in my opinion. I think the talent they were able to load up with, um, especially in their first four picks, is amazing. I, I think all those guys are going to be on the team. 
Um, I think all those guys are going to be, you know, guys that are going to make significant contributions to the team. And I truthfully cannot wait to see how they all plan out. Um, so now I just have a couple questions for you, Mr. Ryan. What do you think? Um, what do you think Kirk Cousins' future is in Minnesota? Where do you think that? Because that that to me was one of the bigger storylines. Is to me this year is the the put up or shut up year for Kirk Cousins. If I think if Kirk doesn't do anything this year, it's going to be really really hard for me to see the Vikings moving forward with him as their quarterback, especially with the new resume, uh, new GM, new head coach, new everything. Um, looking to you know possibly get get their guy in you know what i mean yeah no 100 percent uh, i think you're totally right with kirk and like i i almost view it uh you know obviously to tie everything back to the broncos um when george payton came in last year and we could have pursued another quarterback obviously you know payton had his master plan of trying to get either aaron Rodgers or uh, russell wilson the next year but there was also an element of respect and just giving the incumbent of Drew Locke a year to like say, hey, you know, give us a, a really good year and we will talk from there um, and at least give him the, the you know, respectful move of, of um, giving him competition rather than throwing him to the side. Um, so I think that's kind of a similar situation here with Kirk Cousins with this new staff is they're at least going to give him, you know, this year, see what happens. And then I think that if Kirk Cousins gives you the same Kirk Cousins, I would expect to see that the Vikings, um, you know, try to move on, whether that's in the draft uh, or potentially another veteran. Uh, I think, it, you know, like this is a roster and great job breaking down the roster, by the way, but this is a roster that if you keep adding pieces, we talk about this, um, you know, like repeating storyline of a good roster that just needs a quarterback to get over the hump. You talk about the Buccaneers with Tom Brady finally coming over there. They already had a really solid roster. And you talk about the Rams trading for um, uh, Matt Stafford from the Lions there. And that was kind of one of the final pieces to put them over the top. You know, they also added Vaughn and all them. But uh, And then you talk about the Broncos potentially, although they haven't proven that. And then maybe the Vikings – are in a position where if there's a veteran quarterback uh, that may potentially come on the market, uh, they might be able to snatch him up. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of options for the Vikings, but I, I, unless Kirk is just like lights out and has a career year and like shows that he like can, like he's changed and can kind of like improved enough that you feel like he can push you over the top for a Super Bowl, I don't see them committing to him more than just this year yeah and uh, and perfect I, I i couldn't have said it better myself so great job my friend um yeah i i, I totally agree I, I think that um it really like kirk really has to do something this year um to to really lock down his future almost anywhere you know because otherwise i don't know too many teams that are going to want to give them the reins of their franchise, um, especially if he can't elevate himself to that upper echelon of quarterback. Um, so my second question I have for you, and this was, this was a little hot take. You know, I added this kind of, kind of late. Um, I saw the quote from him, and I want to know how you feel about it. Uh, Justin Jefferson says that he's better than Coop. Uh, 
uh, Cooper Cup. I'm sorry. Um, and I want to know how you felt about Justin Jefferson saying that he's better than Cooper Cup at this point. Who? That's a hot take. I mean, I I respect the confidence, and you got to have that confidence. And I mean, he came out and broke the rookie record uh, or both multiple rookie records for receiving. Um, and obviously, Jamar Chase, you know, amazingly came out and broke those same records a year afterwards. But um, he's certainly shown himself to be one of the elite guys in the league. I think that if you give me a few more years of it and he keeps escalating, I can see that. Um, I do think that for Cooper Cup right now, coming off of a career year where he almost definitively looked like uh, the best wide receiver in the league and was just so consistent with Matt Stafford and um, was just, I mean, it was just almost unstoppable with that connection. Um, So I think that like right now, I don't know that I would agree with that assessment. But I think talking about a year from now or even two years from now, I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if I'm being honest with you, I think next year, like if if Justin Jefferson has a year like he did, like he has, um, mm-hmm. and I think if Cooper Cup even had, well, it's, it, it's hard to say that Cooper Cup if like Cooper Cup has the same year he did this last year, he was the best wide receiver in football statistically this last year. Um, yeah. He was the triple crown, uh, re- you know, wide receiver. Um, so it's hard to say that anyone's better than him. But yeah. I think um, I think Justin Jefferson could make that leap this upcoming year. Uh, I think that uh, he's putting himself in all the right positions, um, working hard. And I, I think he really has the physical capabilities um, to take that leap over Cooper Cup. And, and I, I'm not like a hater on Cooper Cup. I just need to see it for a few more years. I feel like the last two years, he's kind of just burst onto the scene. And I don't always like guys that burst onto the scene because sometimes they just fade away, you know. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Cooper Cup, but I just need to see it. I just need to see it a little bit more. Um. But thank you so much. I appreciate that. And um, after those nice little um, Ryan's hot takes, we'll get into the Viking schedule here. Um, so week one, uh, they got the Packers. Um, and even though they are going to be at home, I still have them losing that game. Um, week two, they're uh, at Philadelphia for a Monday night football game. Um, and I think that's a loss as well. So starting off the season 0-2 uh, until week three where they play the Lions, uh, I have them winning that game. Uh, week four, they're playing the Saints in London, and I do have them winning that game as well. Uh, then they're playing the Bears uh, at home, so that's going to be a nice win. Um, then they're going to Miami. Now, I have this as a loss right now, but I do have this as a game that I think they could win. I think the the Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson-led Vikings can pull an upset in Miami, especially so early in the season. We're not sure. I mean, if you ask Tyree Kill, him and two are best buddies, and they have the most perfect connection ever. But it's not. Uh, it has to. It has to work under live football situations, not just in training camp. So with being so early in the season, I'm not sure how Tyreek and 
Tua's chemistry is going to be. I'm not sure how that whole team's chemistry is going to be. There's just a lot to be seen with the Miami Dolphins. Um, so I have them right now losing that game, but I do see it as an upset game that they could possibly win. Um, after that, we, we go right into a bye. And then coming out of their bye, um, we have them playing the Cardinals. And again, even though they're at home, um, I have them losing this game. And truthfully, I'm not sure why, besides the fact that I think that the Cardinals have a little bit more talent, um, you know, in other areas where the Vikings don't. Um, I mean, and particularly, and I know I'm going to put my foot in my mouth by saying this, but Kyler Murray is better than Kirk Cousins. Um, Does he work harder? That remains to be seen. Um, that's all, that's all I'm going to say. I don't know if Kirk Cousins How dare has... you question his work ethic? And <laughs> especially, especially with all his high school uh, quarterback achievements. Exactly. Um, all I'm going to say is I'm pretty sure Kirk Cousins was the first quarterback to ever get a fully guaranteed contract. So all I'm going to say is maybe they weren't worried about if he was watching film for at least four hours a week. Oh, um, but, but... Know. But um, I have that as a loss right now, but I, I could see it as a game that they could win um, just because I, I do think that the Vikings have more talent. Like when Justin Jefferson goes off for 200 receiving yards in a game and that's three touchdowns, you know, like it's, it's hard to say you're going to lose um, something like that. And I don't necessarily think that the Cardinals have like top, top tier uh, corners either. Like, Name name a cornerback off the Arizona Cardinals right now. I can't do it. Cannot do it. Dude, I don't even know if I can either. I can name their safety, Buda Baker. I know Buda Baker. Um, I know J.J. Watt. I know, um, what's his name, Isaiah Simmons. Um, I know, who else they got down there in Arizona? Exactly. They don't have anyone that can. They don't have anyone that can cover Justin Jefferson. So that's my point. Um, so after that potential potential loss, potential win with the Cardinals, they are uh, playing the Washington Commanders at home. Um, I have them winning that game. It is a game that I think they could lose as well, but I have them winning that game because Carson Wentz sucks. Um, and then you go and play the Buffalo Bills, and you lose to the Buffalo Bills because you're at home. You're in Bills Mafia. You're in the territory. It's not happening. Um, Justin Jefferson or not, it's just not happening. Josh Allen's too fucking good. Um, then after the Bills loss, you go to play the Cowboys, and I think you lose to the Cowboys as well. Then you're playing the Patriots on Thursday Night Football. I do think they could win that. Then you play the Jets, and the Jets are going to Minnesota to play this game. And I I had to put this down as a potential loss. Um just because, I mean, it's the Jets, and I'm biased. But I do think that this is a game that the, the Vikings could win as well. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it just depends on how you're looking at this season. But overall, the schedule is not, not entirely too bad, um, especially to this point in the season. They've, they've only really played um, a couple teams that I can really see them getting blown out by. Everyone else, I, I really do think they can play them relatively close. So after the Jets game, uh, you have the Lions, who even in Detroit, I still think that the Vikings win. Um, then they go and they get the Colts. 
I mean, they lose to the Colts. Uh, then they play the Giants. And in the last two weeks of the season, they have the Packers, and they're going to Chicago to play the Bears. I think they lose to the Packers in Green Bay. And they lose to the Bears because it's in Chicago. I don't know. Like, I again, I could see the Vikings winning it. I could see the Vikings losing it. Just truly depending on what the situation is uh, with injuries and stuff towards the end of the year. So right now, um, just with it being the way I left it, I got them winning uh, three, four, five, six, um, seven games right around there, um, which if you're a Vikings fan, I'm sorry. But if you flip it, and you look at it from an optimistic point of view, I said that you can win some of these games that, you know, I had you losing. So, you know, if you flip it, then you got like an 11-12-1 season. And I think that's totally realistic for the Minnesota Vikings. I think with the talent that they have, um, the roster that they have, the quarterback and the wide receivers that they have, uh, and I didn't even talk about Dalvin Cook at all, and Dalvin Cook is a stud of a running back fucking monster um so yeah they really kind of like kirk cousins really is like the biggest question mark on if they're going to get a 12-1 season or 7-1 season and i think if kirk can play to his best ability all year long i think you guys got like a 12-1 team if not so much then yeah it's like six seven wins um i don't think the schedule is overall too tough um, I do think they definitely have to play some tough teams here and there, but I think it's a pretty favorable schedule uh, all around for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, what do you think about their schedule, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, great job breaking it down. And, you know, I think that you're right. Going through, I, and, I, you know, it's the same thing for the Bears, obviously. They do play a, a few different teams, but being in the same division, they play uh, a lot of the same teams here. And, I feel like my takeaway was there's a lot of like decent to good teams that they face, but not a ton of like, like you said, teams that may blow them out. You know what I mean? Especially you talk about the Vikings who overall I think are a little stronger than the bears. Um, And, you know, so for the Vikings, they really do have an opportunity here uh, to have a really good season. If Kirk cousins and if some of these younger guys uh, can step up, um, and I mean, that's kind of been the question for, uh, since they signed Kirk Cousins is, can he take that next step? Can he lead them to a Super Bowl um, and not just be good enough? You know what I mean? Um, so if there's any year to do it, this is probably the year. Um, and we'll just have to see. But yeah, I mean, you know, great breakdown. And I think that uh, on the conservative side, seven wins is uh, pretty reasonable. And uh, you know, like you said, on the optimistic side, uh, certainly 12 wins if they can pull out some of these games against teams that are beatable, but if they're not playing their best, they will get beat by. Yeah, I think the, um, I think my, like the for sure teams, like you're for sure losing to the Bills and you're for sure losing to like the Packers both times, right? Like I don't think there's yeah. a way the Packers drop those games. Yeah. Um, but like everyone else is a maybe. Like, yeah, 
everyone else is a maybe for sure. So I don't know. I, I definitely will be, uh, I'm going to have my eyes, uh, glued to the Minnesota Vikings a little bit this year after, uh, learning about them, you know, learning about their, um, their extra motivations, especially from their secondary group this year. And, um, Honestly, I don't know. I just like them. And their alternate uniforms are nice, too. So, them purple with the yellow numbers, them shits are clean, dude. It do be. It do be. But, with that being said, I will uh, I'll let you take over and uh, start breaking down the uh, division rivals in the Chicago Bears. Thank you so much, my good sir. So, starting on the Chicago Bears, their brand new GM, Ryan Poles, uh, a very fun story. Uh, you know, his playing career went to Boston College, uh, came into the NFL as an undrafted free agent, unfortunately got cut, didn't make it, uh, went back to Boston College as a uh, coaching assistant and worked his way up through the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs, has been their uh, director of player personnel um, over this last, like, nice run that they've had with Alex Smith and uh, Patrick Mahomes there. And um, really proven himself and then, uh, you know, comes back home to the uh, Chicago Bears, the team that uh, picked him up as an undrafted free agent to be their brand new GM. And so far, so good. Um, We'll get into his draft, first draft so far uh, in just a second. Uh, Their brand new head coach, Matt Eberflus, um, you know, in his 50s, kind of not an older coach, but not a super young coach either, has worked his way up through college. Um, and then came into the league uh, and has been doing some positional stuff and then was a defensive coordinator for the last few years. And uh, this is his first head head coaching opportunity. So we'll have to see what he can pull off with the Bears. Um, but going ahead through their draft here, their very first pick was in the second round, number 39, Kyler Gordon, cornerback out of Washington. Uh, I really like this guy. He played opposite of Trent McDuffie in college um and obviously first round pick went to the kansas city chiefs uh and uh you know because trent mcduffie was trent mcduffie he didn't get thrown out a lot and all of those targets went to kyler gordon and he was the one who uh had all of the production despite uh you know all of the uh extra targets thrown his way and really did prove himself and on top of that he is a little bit of a smaller guy uh, but he's physical enough that uh, he can do, he can play inside and he can also play on the outside and uh, hang in with those bigger wide receivers. Um, so he is a versatile guy uh, and hopefully can make a really uh, nice impact for this team. Their second pick here, round two, number 48, uh, Jaquan Brisker, a safety out of Penn State, a really smart guy, uh, you know, kind of the director of the defense. Um, and yeah, going to be a, a nice starter for them, uh, even potentially this year. And then round three, number 71, Velas Jones Jr., wide receiver out of Tennessee. Um, I think that a lot of Bears fans were hoping for a wide receiver higher, especially after losing Allen Robinson in the offseason. Um, but they do take one out of Tennessee. Uh, I think the knock on Velas Jones Jr., uh, when you look at him compared to some of the other wide receivers they could have picked is that he doesn't have as much production offensively uh, in college. He only had one year as a starter offensively um, and uh, put up decent numbers, but has not like he's more uh, upside than he is proven production. 
Um, he has been a very nice returner and will potentially fill in that role as a rookie um, as he grows offensively. But, uh, is, you know, he's kind of a, uh, a question mark on this draft, um, but certainly has enough talent that you're not mad about, uh, you know, drafting him. And then their next pick, round five, number 168, Braxton Jones, offensive tackle out of Southern Utah. Uh, you know, our project offensive tackle, uh, a nice, lengthy, athletic guy um, who can potentially develop into something there. Their next pick, round five, number 174, Dominique Robinson, an edge out of Miami. Uh, no, not in Florida, the one in Ohio. And um, yeah, he's he's a guy that uh, has not had a lot of, uh, similarly to uh, Vilas Jones Jr., has not had a lot of proven production uh, in college. And he is more of an upside pick. Um, but if you can develop, you know, he does have talent that could potentially put him into this uh, rotation here. Their next pick, round five, 186, Zachary Thomas, an off- offensive tackle out of San Diego State. Um, you know, a little bit more of a smaller guy, um, but he's real strong and he has more versatility than when you talk about Braxton Jones. Um, Zachary Thomas can play across the line. He played center, he played uh, tackle, and he also played guard um, in college. So that'll be an interesting one if you can develop as well. Round six, uh, 203, Tristan Ebner, a running back out of Baylor, an interesting guy. Uh, he uh, is best at like catching the ball, and um, he's also a good returner, just like Vilas Jones Jr. Uh, so he a little bit of versatility there, and I'm sure he's probably going to find a spot on this roster. Round six, two oh seven. Doug Kramer, a center out of Illinois. Uh, obviously, you'll love to see them adding all the offensive linemen they can get. And uh, yeah, I mean another solid body there that can hopefully develop. Round seven, two twenty six. Jatire Carter, offensive tackle out of Southern, uh, and obviously you know another body to throw in there. Uh, you know, with this Bears team, the more you can get. Obviously, last year with their off- or their offensive line just not up to par. Um, so, round seven, two fifty four, Elijah Hicks, a safety out of Cal, another body throw in there probably for special teams in this first year. Round seven, two fifty five, Trenton Gill, a punter out of NC State, uh, a smart move here, and you shows some of the intelligence uh, when you talk about Ryan Poles there. Uh, using the very last uh, pick or their very last pick of the draft to uh, pick a punter. When you talk about that um, undrafted free agent class, you know, we, a lot of teams want a punter and there's only so many of them. If you let it get to the undrafted free agent stage, then you're in a bidding war, right? But if you use a round seven pick, um, which is not super valuable, you know, take a flyer on a puncher that you really want and that way you can just secure him. So good move there. Probably going to be the starter for them. And then, so that is their full draft. And I mean, solid for Ryan Poles, uh, at least on paper, obviously. We'll have to see how all these guys uh, develop out, but um, so far so good for the new staff. So key departures over this offseason. Khalil Mack and Edge uh, played 29% of the snaps, which is less than I thought he played. Um, although I believe he dealt with injury last year um but yeah i mean obviously uh you know a bigger loss than that snap count will lead you to believe 
as far as veteran leadership and just the sheer amount of talent uh, that he brought to that defense. Going over to the Chargers, obviously, my division rival, unfortunately. Um, but their next loss, Allen Robinson, wide receiver, played 55% of the snaps, went over to the Rams, uh, you know, coming off that Super Bowl win there, just another weapon for Matt Stafford um, and a good weapon. Um, and I think Allen Robinson finally just had enough. And he was like, all right, bye, see ya. And I mean, to be yeah. honest with you, if, if I'm the Bears, like, I've, I can't be too mad about it because I feel like he turned down multiple opportunities to leave and stayed with the Bears and they just couldn't put him in a situation where he wanted to be long-term and he finally was like, all right, I'm dipping out before I get too old. So, you know, it is what it is. And the Bears, uh, you know, with a new staff are moving on and turning over the roster, uh, which we'll go through. And uh, Akeem Hicks, inside defensive lineman, 28% of the snaps. Um, you know, kind of like I mentioned, like going to be a recurring theme throughout this whole breakdown is with the new staff, just a complete, uh, not complete, but pretty large overhaul of the roster in this offseason and uh, a lot of old faces and familiar faces uh, to Chicago Bears fans are now not going to be there anymore. Um, you know, obviously it's got to happen at some point. Things just weren't working. Uh, always sad to see the, the faces go, especially you talk about such recognizable names. Um, like, I mean, you just go through these first, uh, all the departures, like very recognizable names as we keep going through here. Eddie Goldman, an inside defensive lineman, 31%. Jimmy Graham, tight end, 23%. Danny Trevathan, uh, Super Bowl winner with the Broncos, by the way, inside linebacker, 7%. Tariq Cohen, running back, uh, Jermaine Effetti, right tackle, 36%. Deshaun Gibson, a safety, 62%. Jason Peters, uh, left tackle, played 76% uh, of snaps for them. James Daniels, right guard, 100%. By the way, Jason Peters, can can we just shout out Jason Peters for playing 76% of the snaps for Chicago Bears last year? Yeah, absolutely. Clap, 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 clap. Good for my dude. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Alec Ogutree, linebacker, 65%. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those names, iconic for Bears fans over the last few years, uh, staples of this team. So you, you really know that uh, it's time for a change and the roster is uh, embracing that fact with a lot of these departures here. So moving into the roster itself, quarterback, obviously uh, from last year, your first-round pick, Justin Fields, um, you know, there's a lot of questions surrounding him. Um, I think that he's shown that he has talent, especially running-wise, um, and he could develop into something passing-wise. He's had some red flags, um, but he's also shown some uh, good flags as well. And I think that when you look at last year's roster, they just have not put enough around Justin Fields at this point um, especially that offensive line, you know, obviously you have weapons. They still had Allen Robinson, but it just wasn't enough for Justin Fields to support him in the way uh, that a young quarterback needs, um, especially being tossed into a uh, situation and starting when he really shouldn't have. And uh, Andy Dalton was just not enough to, uh, you know, stave him off 
and stave off the uh, fans asking for uh, him to be in. And I definitely think he was one of those quarterbacks that you really ideally would have not wanted to see him for probably, if not two years, at least the first year, just not at all uh, get on the field and just let him develop behind uh, a veteran. But uh, it just didn't happen that way. So he is the uh, now unquestioned leader at quarterback there, and he's just going to have to keep developing on the fly. Um, But behind him, they have added uh, a nice veteran here, Trevor Simeon, one of my favorite guys in the league, just because, you know, fond memories from being on the Broncos. And, um, yeah, I mean, I always love to see my dude there. Comes over from New Orleans. Behind him, Nathan Peterman, uh, you know, the, what, four interception game dude. That's what I remember him for. Yeah, well, that and the Raiders randomly being in love with him. John Gruden randomly loving him so much. It's like, we, we think this guy could just be so fantastic. Everybody's like, no, just no, no. <laughs> but yeah, he's sticking around. Uh, running back David Montgomery, a solid option there. Behind him, Khalil Herbert came on last year as well. And then your rookie, Tristan Ebner, receiving back there. Fullback. Kari Blazingame or Blazingame uh, came over from Tennessee this year. And tight end Cole Komet uh, has been a young guy coming on. You would have liked to see a little bit more development out of him at this point, uh, but hopefully he takes another big step this year, um, especially being, you know, just the unquestioned big name in that uh, room. I think obviously he was kind of. Even though Jimmy Graham is so recognizable in name, I think Cole Komet was the number one tight end uh, on the Bears roster anyways in terms of talent and like overall ability at this point because Jimmy Graham is just not who he was before. Um, but now he's really just the number one on this roster. Behind him, Ryan Griffin comes over from the New York Jets. Uh, a solid enough option. I, Enrique, I was interested in your thoughts on him. Oh, uh, on Ryan Griffin? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that he's perfect where he's at right now. I don't necessarily think that he is a – he's like a second to third string uh, tight end, depending on the depending on the team. But uh, on the Bears, he's going to be their second option for sure after uh, Cole Komet. And then, um, I don't know, solid, solid dude, but I, I was not sad uh, to lose him in regards – because of the, I mean, partially because of the guys that we ended up replacing him with and Uzama and Tyler Conklin. But, um, yeah, just just a very, very, like, uh, he's like a 78 overall on Madden. You know what I mean? Like 77, you know, like right in there. Like he'll catch the ball, but he's not, uh, he's not some of these other guys for sure. Right. Replaceable, but not awful. So, you know, happy enough to have him for the Bears, especially uh, with uh, Jimmy Graham leaving there. You want a few options for sure. Um, And then behind them, they also brought in James O'Shaughnessy, kind of in the same boat as Ryan Griffin, just a guy that's there. Not too great, not too bad, uh, but he's going to get some jobs done for you and uh, be solid enough. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a good enough uh, room there, especially if Cole Komet can take another big step. Uh, And then, yeah, thank you, Enrique, for your thoughts on Ryan Griffin there. And at wide receiver, they have Darnell Mooney leading out that room. Obviously, come on strong in the last couple of years. Um, a little bit, I guess, of surprise. Not necessarily expected to be as successful as he has been, um, but it's been a, a solid wide receiver who 
can make some circus catches and uh, is an interesting talent that I'm really excited to see once the Bears can find some consistency uh, offensively, what uh, he can do because uh, he's an interesting talent. Um, behind him, Byron Pringle comes over from Kansas City. Uh, another kind of interesting guy who, like, I was thinking about this when I was putting together all my research for this uh, Bears breakdown. And um, Byron Pringle is like, he has been solid enough with the Chiefs, but he's also been buried on in that wide receiver room. But he has been a guy that has made some timely plays and has made some um, made some plays. You know, made some uh, game changing kind of um, opportunities and just throughout his career. And it, it just kind of like as a Broncos fan, especially facing the Chiefs two times a year. Um, you know, I get a little bit. Uh, more perspective on those uh divisional teams there and some of those players and he's just one of those guys that like even though he's he hasn't had a ton of production yet he's had enough of those moments where i was like yeah i'm pretty glad he's not on the chiefs anymore like i was like wiping some sweat off my brow i like i wouldn't call him a weapon um but i think that maybe with an expanded role here and not being behind uh tyreek hill and uh, the guys that they had you know, maybe he can um, develop into something else with the the Bears here. So behind him, Equinemius St. Brown from the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, a solid enough guy who has uh, developed beyond when he was drafted, um, was pretty raw when he was first drafted there, um, but did some good things with Aaron Rodgers and then finally came over here to the Bears, and we'll see what he can do from there. Behind him, your rookie, Vilas Jones Jr., and uh, we'll see if he can get into an, like a real offensive role in his rookie year. But I almost uh, more expect him to be uh, competing for that returner job to start off or even just special teams in general. Um, behind him, Daz Newsome. And then they also traded for Nikhil Harry from New Orleans, or not New Orleans, New England. Um, and we'll have to see if he can uh, revive his career here, the former first round pick uh, of the Patriots there. And, um, yeah, we'll just have to see, you know, if he can pick up the pieces there or potentially, I don't know that this would be his last stop, um, unless he just puts together really just an awful run with the bears. It could be a situation where nobody even calls on a Nikhil hair anymore. Um, he really has to, uh, you know, put something together. So behind him, Dante Pettis comes over from the New York giants. Um, and yeah, just another body there, somebody who has had a little bit of production with the Giants there um, and some experience. So yeah, the wide receiver room, they they, they lost a, a big piece in Allen Robinson. And I don't think looking at this you, that you've, uh, or this new reformed room that you've replaced that by any means, but I do think they've at least clearly tried to uh, add quite a bit to this room and throw some things at the wall and see if they stick. Um, so we'll just have to see how that goes down and which one of these, uh, or which ones of these wide receivers, like they added what one, two, three, four, five wide receivers to this room, whether it be through trade, uh, free agency or through the draft. Um, so we'll just have to see, you know, which ones stick there. So moving on to their offensive line, left tackle, like we talked about, they brought in Riley reef, uh, over from Cincinnati there a really solid addition that uh, helps that 
uh, you know, position, especially because, you know, if not for Riley Reef there, you're looking at starting one of your uh, rookie tackles in Braxton Jones or Zachary Thomas um, or potentially Julian Davenport, who came in for, from uh, Indianapolis this offseason. Um, but when you look at the left guard position, Cody Whitehair is going to be your starter. And behind him, they project Zachary Thomas uh, as well, being that kind of, um, you know, guy that can move across the line and do a few different things. Uh, he could potentially fill in with that left guard spot. And then at center, you're looking at Lucas Patrick, uh, came over from Green Bay this offseason. Uh, and, you know, he's dealing with a hand injury at the moment in camp here. So we'll have to see how that goes. But behind him, Doug Kramer, you know, uh, Doug Kramer obviously uh, drafted out of Illinois there. And uh, we'll have to see what he can do. Uh, probably not going to be a huge force in his rookie year. At right guard, Michael Schofield, they brought in from the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, a solid enough option and certainly an upgrade over what they had. Um, they were going to be relying on Sam Mustafer at that position um, otherwise. And then they also drafted Jatire Carter in the seventh round. And then at right tackle, uh, at right now they're projecting Tevin Jenkins, uh, who was your second round pick last year, um, to be the projected starter at the moment at right tackle. But Larry Borum was the second round pick of 2020. Um, and they're kind of going head to head. So I think in training camp, we're going to see which one of those guys can end up taking that right tackle position. I think on paper, Tevin Jenkins is a guy that I liked uh, coming out of the draft last year. Um, I was helping big things for, but he was struggling with some injuries coming into his rookie year. So it kind of messed up his, uh, you know, learning trajectory and uh, how to recover from that and uh, did some good things in his uh playing time in his rookie year, but did some bad things as well. And Larry Borum, frankly, last year looked better than Tevin Jenkins. Um, you know, obviously Tevin Jenkins being a rookie. So we'll just have to see how uh, both of them respond going into camp here and which one of them can take that job. Uh, but then behind them, Lechavius Simmons. So, you know, to take a second and look at the offense, I think that uh, obviously – your biggest question is with Justin Fields and your quarterback, and is he the guy long-term? You want to see it, but also there's the question of what's around him roster-wise. Um, obviously, your running back room looks decent enough. Um, you could ask for more out of it. I think that none of them are necessarily established like big stars. David Montgomery has done some good things, but I need to see more consistency, and Khalil Herbert um, has been good so far, but it's just a young and then Tristan Ebner, just a rookie, um, but is better than some rooms around the league. And then your wide receiver room, like we said, uh, a lot of new faces, um, a lot of gambles, and we'll have to see which ones pay off there. Um, but Darnell Mooney, at the very least, has been a uh, proven uh, producer for this Bears team so, so far and has good chemistry with Justin Fields. Um, but And then you look at that offensive line, you know, th at the very least – you can say that, uh, like with a lot of the positions throughout this roster, uh, this offseason, the brand new uh, GM and Ryan Poles has really added quite a bit, just throwing things to the wall and see what sticks. And uh, in the additions of Riley Reef, you know, obviously your draft picks there, 
investing four draft picks into your offensive line. Um, and then you bring in Lucas Patrick to be a starter. You bring in Michael Schofield to be a starter. Uh, can't say they're not trying. Um, so we'll have to see exactly how good this offensive line can be. But at the very least on paper, it looks significantly uh, improved from last year, which was just really not good and not good enough for Justin Fields. Um, and frankly, not good enough to get a like really good, reasonable take on Justin Fields as a player. Like it's really hard to evaluate a quarterback when they have so little around them that like you just can't get like an actual read on them as a quarterback because it's such a volatile, uh, you know, situation that they're in. Uh, talking from experience with the Broncos, when our offensive line was abysmal, it's hard to tell, like with Drew Locke, when you're trying to figure out does he suck or not. You can certainly make excuses for, uh, you know, either side of like, you know, like it's just harder to uh, evaluate when your offensive line is breaking down and they have no time to throw, have to run away and be on the run, try to make a throw or have to try and run the ball. And it's just a wholly different circumstance. So hopefully this year, this offensive line can be much improved like it looks like on paper. But with all that said, defense, um, they are switching scheme this year from a 3-4 look to a 4-3 look. So starting with the free safety and moving down, Eddie Jackson, uh, obviously a veteran there, uh, showed some really solid football in the last couple of years, has not been quite as strong, um, but hoping to bounce back this year and still a solid starter. Um, DeAndre Houston, Carson behind him, and then Elijah Hicks, your rookie. At strong safety, Jaquan Brisker is your projected starter, your rookie uh, coming out of Penn State. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully he can come on strong in his first year. I really like him. He's a smart uh, kid and, you know, a very resourceful uh, player who can develop into a, a very solid starter for the Bears uh, all on in theory. So we'll have to see. But behind him, Dane Krukshank and then Michael Joseph at cornerback. Uh, a little bit more questionable here. Your number one guy, Jalen Johnson, and then Kyler Gordon, your rookie. Uh, not sure exactly how how much of an impact he's going to make as a rookie. Uh, we just have to see. But Lamar Jackson, no, not the quarterback, the cornerback. Then Tavon Young came over from the Ravens this year. Uh, Kindle or Kindle Vindor, Kindle Vindor, is your next cornerback there. And then Thomas Graham Jr. as well to round out that room. At inside linebacker, your very first starter, Rokon Smith, who's holding out of camp, as we talked about earlier. Um, behind him, Nicholas Moreau came over from the Las Vegas Raiders. And then Matt Adams comes over from Indianapolis as well. Behind him, uh, Caleb Johnson. And then at defensive end, Robert Quinn coming off of a career 18 uh, point five, yeah, 18.5 sacks, I believe it was, last year, which was also a Bears franchise record. So good for him. Hopefully he can do it again this year. Uh, Trevis Gibson, and then Al-Kaden Muhammad, and behind him, Dominique Robinson, the rookie, uh, the fifth round. At defensive tackle, Justin Jones comes over from the Los Angeles Chargers, then Mario Edwards Jr., and LaCale London. 
And then at nose tackle, Angelo Blackson comes over from Arizona. Tonga Kiaris. That's a hard one. Tonga Kiaris. And then Mike Pennell Jr. comes over from Atlanta as well. And uh, yeah, so let's take a second to look at this defense. Um, I think obviously your safety spots are going to be pretty much your biggest strength at this point. You know, for this Bears defense, I think the defensive line has really been that identity. But then you talk about, you know, a lot of those key departures. You're looking at Hakeem Hicks, Khalil Mack on the edge there, uh, Eddie Goldman, you know, a few players, a few big names uh, for that Bears defense. And all of a sudden, you're looking at this roster and that defensive line, other than Robert Quinn, um, you're looking at some unproven guys. I mean, Justin Jones, okay, from the Los Angeles Chargers, has his deficiencies, uh, struggles with the uh, run, and that's part of why the uh, Chargers moved on from him. Uh, you know, they were really struggling with the run, and uh, Justin Jones was part of that. Angelo Blackson from Arizona, just unproven at nose tackle position there. So we will just have to see for this Bears team, but that certainly seems like it is no longer their biggest strength in uh, the, the safety room if uh, Jaquan Brisker comes on in his rookie year like I think he potentially could um, is the the strength here. Um, and even that cornerback room is not looking super hot either. So, yeah, we'll have to see with this Bears defense. But on paper, it definitely looks like it's going to be taking a step back uh, from what it was last year and the last few years in general. And then your special teams to finish it off, your kicker is Cairo Santos, and then your punter is Trenton Gill, your uh, rookie from the seventh round there. And the storylines for this Bears team, number one, uh, the roster overhaul under new head coach and GM, tons of new faces and thus questions. You know, we were talking about it going all the way through this roster. Um, and there's just so much change going on. And I do think that that was necessary for this Bears team that has looked very similar for a good few years now, um, especially under Matt Nagy and, uh, you know, keeping that Vic Fangio scheme defensively. Now they're shifting to something a little bit different. Um, and I think it's a good change. I think that and they needed to shake up uh, for the Bears there. and uh, It was just getting stagnant and they were just not getting what they needed. Um, that defense was good, but was slowly declining as they lose players and their players aged. Um, so, yeah, it was time for a shake up and hopefully this is the right direction. Number two, can the offensive line hold itself together better for Justin Fields? Last year was just abysmal. We talked about that. Um, and it, you really need to help out Justin Fields if you really want to get a good evaluation on whether he's going to be your franchise quarterback going forward. Um, and right now, you know, obviously if you're not going to, like if you don't put enough around him, he's going to fail. Um, and so if you want to give him any chance of succeeding, you know, you need to, to uh, reform it. And at least they've tried on paper, but we'll just have to see. Number three, Bears defensive identity will likely take a step back this year due to new scheme and heavy losses slash new players. And talked about that with the defense. Um, and yeah, I mean, that has been the main identity for this Bears team for a good few years now. And we'll just have to see exactly how much that changes uh, as we go into this year with the, so much change, especially on that defensive side, but everywhere on the roster, really. And then finally, did the Bears do enough 
to surround Justin Fields with talent, especially after losing Allen Robinson. Uh, Enrique, you know, question for you. What do you think? Um, did did the Bears surround Justin Fields with enough talent in uh, this offseason on the offensive line, enough weapons after losing Allen Robinson, uh, you know, in that wide receiver room? Um, do you think that they can get a fair evaluation of him in this upcoming year? I don't. I don't believe so, no. And my reason, uh, I mean, obviously you did such a great job breaking down the roster that it's fairly easy to tell um, right away that, I mean, his biggest weapon is Darnell Mooney uh, or Cole, uh, Cole Komet, you know. Um, it's... I mean, obviously, they have a lot of guys that have a lot of potential. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. They at least put some effort towards the offensive line because it really starts there. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't have any time to throw the ball at all, then it doesn't matter if you got all the best wide receivers in the world because uh, they're not going to have – the quarterback's not going to have any time to get the ball to them. Um, so I, I do appreciate them at least putting the effort towards uh, some offensive line help. Um but, I mean, truthfully, I would have loved to see anybody. Like, just give me anybody out there. Get, try Julio Jones. Uh, I mean, like, Antonio Brown even. Like, fucking literally give me anybody to help Justin Fields out. Because, I mean, truthfully, he just has no, he just has no options in the passing game. Um, and that's the part that I really do feel that he's being um, – I don't know. I guess it's that like that Sam Donald effect almost where he just has really no help. And I don't necessarily know that you had so many draft picks this year. Um, and obviously you have, when you have a team as bad as the Bears, you have to put the love towards, um, you know, the rest of the team as well. But I mean, anybody to help my boy out, just anybody, like you can't just rely on Cole Komet and fucking, However, you say St. Brown's first name. Um, you just, yeah. you just, you need somebody, and um, I'm hoping that Justin Fields can take steps in his own regard. Um, you know, like he can show that playmaking ability that he can make, um, you know, the guys around him better. Um, because then it's worth going into the next off season to fully put some weapons around him, like the Jets did with Zach Wilson or the Broncos did for Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson. Um, you know, when you have a franchise quarterback or a potential franchise quarterback, you have to, have to, have to surround him with talent. Um, and that's defensive as well, you know. But, um, you know, Justin Fields needs guys to throw to. Justin Fields needs uh, people to protect for him and block for him and running backs behind him to score touchdowns. That's his job is to score touchdowns and to not turn over the ball. And um, the, Bears, the, Bears, the Bears helped him out a little bit, but I don't think they did enough. Yeah, hey, great job, Enrique. And I would tend to agree. I, I think that, you know, like you said, at least they tried. You can't say they didn't try. They, they definitely added some bodies, especially in that wide receiver room. I think that I, I would grade them higher on their effort with the offensive line. I think there's more upside there. Um, the wide receiver room, I really would have liked to see them add some sort of veteran. You know, I know that Chicago is not super convincing right now of a free agency spot, but like 
you could throw some money at a Julio Jones. You could throw some money at a, a maybe an Odell. There was a lot of wide receivers on that. Like you think about maybe a, um, you know, obviously he went to New Orleans, but Jarvis Landry, somebody like that, like just a solid veteran presence. I think that would have been so solid for this Bears team to have. But right now you've got a collection of guys with some upside that may be good enough. Um, and then you've got Darnell Mooney, who's shown some uh, nice stuff and has a good repertoire with Justin Fields. But other than that, it, it's a lot of questions. So I totally agree with you, Enrique. Uh, and yeah, great job. And so with that, we can move right into the Bears schedule. Their 2021 record was 6-11, and 11, um, which it was honestly more wins than I remembered this Bears team getting. Um, but yeah, that's just a credit to Justin Fields and that defense. And um, yeah, and so going into their 2022 schedule, game one versus San Francisco 49ers at home, that's a loss. Uh, week two at Green Bay Packers, that's a loss. Week three versus Houston Texans, I put this as a win, and I have this as a big game for them uh, because I, I go back and forth on this one. I think that the Bears have stars in certain spots defensively, um, and I think that there are spots where they have uh, better uh, you know, options than the Houston Texans do. But I, right now, if I'm being honest with you, I have a little bit more faith in Davis Mills on uh, the weapons that they have there. They have some veteran talent with wide receiver. You talk about Brandon Cook and, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a few reasons to be had that the Texans could pull out that game. Um, it is a home game for the Bears, but I ended up putting it as a win, but I went back and forth on that one. So I think that that could be a little bit more contested than uh, maybe some would lead you to believe with the Texans, because I think it's reasonable to say they're like the worst team in the league, but they've got like just enough upside that I think that they can sprinkle a couple upset games throughout their schedule. Um, so we'll just have to see. Week four at New York Giants. I have that as a win. That could go either way. This one I have. So I have uh, them. Um, they play the Giants twice and I have them splitting. And uh, like I, I, Again, went back and forth on this one, especially with it being an away game. But the Giants are like right now in a declining phase. And I think at least the Bears are in the, um, you know, they're moving upward trajectory. They're rebuilding their roster um, until the Giants give me a reason to believe like if Daniel Jones comes out and actually is playing decently, then the Giants probably take that game. Uh, but if the Bears, with their improvements, are uh, playing better and the Giants are just stagnant this year um, under the new head coach and they're figuring themselves out, then that is a very winnable game. So week five at Minnesota Vikings, I have that as a loss. Um, and I do have them splitting with the Minnesota Vikings, but uh, I do think that the Vikings can hold off at home there. And then week six versus the Washington Commanders, that's a Thursday game. I have that as a loss. I think they would probably lose this game either way. I think the Commanders are strong enough for that. But the fact that it's a Thursday game uh, for the Bears just puts it over the top for me. And then week seven at New England Patriots, I have that as a loss. But that's a big game that could be competitive, depending. Um, week eight, Dallas Cowboys at Dallas Cowboys, I have that as a loss. 
Week nine versus Miami Dolphins, a loss, but I have that as a big game uh, and something they could potentially, depending on how good the Bears are playing, uh, be competitive in. Week 10 versus the Detroit Lions at home. I have this as a win, uh, just splitting with the Detroit Lions. And um, yeah, that's a big game. I mean, the Lions, I think I project to be uh, like, I think that they can make a little noise this year. Not necessarily in, in terms of like playoff position, but just like being better than they were last year. And so I do think that the uh, Lions could potentially take this game. But um, as of right now, I have them splitting with the Bears. So week 11 at Atlanta Falcons. I have that as a loss, but this is a big one and a very winnable one for the Bears um, that they could potentially take at the Falcons. Week 12. At New York Jets, I have that as a loss. I think the Jets can defend home court there against a very inferior roster. Uh, Week 13 versus Green Bay Packers, a loss. And then week 14 is your bye week. Week 15 versus the Philadelphia Eagles, I have that as a loss as well, but a big game. Depending on how well the uh, Eagles are playing in Jalen Hurts, that could be competitive. Week 16 versus the Buffalo Bills, a loss. Uh, they're a contender, and I, I, I don't think that's in question. Week 17 at Detroit Lions. Uh, I have them one as a loss, them splitting the series there. And then to finish it out, week 18 is your uh, home Vikings game, and I have that as a win for the Bears. And I do think, again, we talked about the Vikings in, uh, as Enrique broke them down. And, um, you know, if the Vikings are playing well enough, very reasonably they could sweep the Bears. But right now I have them in uh, the Bears at least taking their home matchup with the Vikings um, in week 18 there. So overall, I view the Bears as making uh, or winning four games, going four and 13 this year. Uh, so a step back of two games from last year. But you look at the losses you've sustained on that defense um, and you look at the questions on offense, especially with the wide receiver room and the weapons that you still have. Uh, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's reasonable when you talk about a lot of the big games, depending on how well, like, the Eagles are playing, depending on how well the Dolphins are playing, the Lions, the Falcons, uh, you know, a lot of these teams, uh, even the Patriots, uh, the Texans. There's a lot of games on there, the Giants. There's a lot of ca- uh, games on there that are um, winnable or losable depending on how well those teams are playing and depending on how well the Bears are playing. Um, but, you know, very easily the Bears could uh, get more wins than four if they could pull off some of those games, especially with their new additions uh, in this roster. Uh, so my thoughts on the schedule. Number one, facing some tough divisions in the NFC East, AFC East, and their own NFC North with the Falcons and the 49ers sprinkled in, um, and they are tough divisions, but at the same time, we kind of talked about it. It's like, I view them as like decent to good teams. Like there's not a lot of bad teams in the, in these divisions that they're facing, but there's not a ton of like, you know, really like almost unbeatable contenders. You talk about like the Packers are projected to be still that the Buffalo bills are looking to have a really great year. Um, but just like the Vikings schedule, those are really the only teams like maybe the Cowboys you can kind of put in that conversation, but like not really. 
the 49ers are still a question with Trey Lance, but like they do have a playoff contending team as far as the overall roster. Like there's some teams with a lot of strength on there, but the only two teams that are like strong enough that you're like, oh, there's no way in hell they're even touching them is the Bills and the uh, Packers to me. So, you know, a tough schedule, but not that tough at the same time. And a tough first two games with the Niners and Packers, but then they have a, a pretty winnable stretch until week 13 again against the Packers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at week one and two, 49ers, Packers, but then you follow up from week three, you have the Texans, the Giants, the Vikings, the Commanders, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, the Lions, the Falcons, the Jets, and then finally the Packers in week 13 again. And, you know, there's some tougher teams in there, but overall, again, like we said, just nothing like no teams that are like, okay, they're absolutely losing that game. Like they just have no chance in hell. You know, they're very, uh, no, I don't even want to say very winnable games, but just like within reason, if the Bears significantly improve um, in some spots that they have at least added to on paper. So, yeah, Enrique, overall, what's, what are your thoughts on this Bears schedule? And, uh, you know, what do you think that they can uh, do this year? Um, so, I mean, I, I think you got it pretty much correct i don't really see any any game where um i think i think they i think the giants could could lose um or they could lose to the giants but otherwise um it just really depends because daniel jones is such a big question i honestly feel like i trust justin fields more than i trust daniel jones at this point but i'm also just a hater on daniel jones and the giants so that's probably a, um, a big aspect of it. Um, I, I agree with you uh, that Texans game is going to show a lot um, on both of those teams. Um, but I would say I, I, I think that the Bears have more talent um, on the team right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I can say that on the offensive side, but on the defensive side for sure, I think the Bears have a bit more talent. I'm really excited to see, um, and I guess I should have brought this up when you had mentioned them, but I'm excited to see those two safeties play together. Um, the, the rookie that they just drafted and, um, and um, what the fuck's his name? Um, Eddie, Jackson. Eddie Jackson. Yeah, Eddie Jackson. Between J- Jaquan Bersker and Eddie Jackson, I think that's going to be a really nice duo, and I think that that's what gives me a little bit of faith when they're playing teams like the Texans. Because then I'm just like, with these – Positive teams, you're just looking at talent versus talent. And I'm like, well, you know, although the Texans do have some as well, and especially with both draft classes of both those teams, they've infused a little bit more. But, um, yeah, there's nothing I can really argue here. Um, I, I, I do – yeah, I, they don't have, like, the worst schedule, but they don't have the easiest schedule as well. Um, like, you got to go to Dallas – uh, right after leaving uh, Gillette Stadium in New England, that's 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 kind of a tough break right there. Um, you know, you have to play the Bills, and that's just like a guaranteed L. Um, also, the biggest thing I'll say about the schedule: they got fucked on their bye week. They don't have a bye week yeah. till week four, 14, 14, Ryan. That's four games left in the season. Don't even give me a bye week at this point, dude. 
like that's gonna that's that's really really tough for a team that's looking to um try to get some momentum like because that's just a really late bye week i would like i would want that as a, a bye week if i was like a playoff contender team you know so that way you're like getting getting a little bit of rest right before the playoffs but you're the chicago bears you're not going to the playoffs this year for sure so uh, to not have a bye week to week 14, that's rough. That's really, really rough because yeah. then it's just going to feel like the whole season. Because if you're losing and you get a bye week in like week eight or week seven, you can kind of like maybe hit 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 like a momentum switch and ride the second half of the season. You don't really have a second half of the season when you're bye weeks in week 14. Um, so that's that's really, really tough. But otherwise, yeah, I think they have to play a, a, a handful of pretty difficult teams and um yeah i don't i don't think that they have the talent on their roster to pull them past five wins and i'm saying five five or six if they're like truly lucky and they like randomly i don't know like take they, they take out the patriots and they take out the dolphins or they take out you know i think they could maybe take out the falcons as well um i, I don't think they have any chance against the eagles the packers um 49ers um yeah so like i'll even give them a chance against the jets um and i'm like obviously extremely biased in that regard um but otherwise yeah five wins if you're ultra lucky if everything goes the right way and justin fields doesn't die by week 14. right yeah i mean it's really gonna depend depend on that offensive line like you said regardless of the wide receivers and the weapons it starts with that offensive line. If you can't get the run game going because of it, if you can't get the pass game going because of it, uh, it's going to be really tough for Justin Fields. So just going to have to see there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you uh, with the, uh, when it comes to the schedule there. And, uh, yeah, sucks to have that late bye week. And I overall, you know, I think that it's a, a tough year for the uh, – or it's going to be a tough year most likely for the Bears here. But you're moving in the right direction with your uh, brand-new GM, your brand-new head coach. Um, you're establishing a new culture in theory, you know, trying to find out whether you have uh, your guy in Justin Fields. Um, it's definitely a transitionary stage for the Bears here, and it's not going to be a super pretty year. Um, but at least you can take solace in the fact that I think, you know, for the first time in a few years now, this Bears team is uh, moving in an upward trajectory. So... With that said, uh, that'll do us for the first part of today's show. Come right along with us into the Mile High Fight Show as we go over the electric UFC 277. Also, if you want to keep up with the shows and be a part of our weekly question segment, find us on social media, on Instagram and TikTok. We are at Mile High Flight Show. On Twitter, we are at MHFS Podcast. And YouTube is just the show title, Mile High Flight Show. And lastly, check out our merch on Redbubble, which is at MHFS Podcast. And stay tuned for more coming soon. We love and appreciate each and every one of you that listens. And this has been the Mile High Flight Show.